0: me something you look like you want to tell me
1: something you look like you have something really important to say just can't for some reason come on you can
2: tell me Jim
3: the Private Suite Podcast interview series. As always, I'm Indie Advent, and today we have a very special guest on the show. His name is Alex, and he runs a little label called Pacific Plaza Records. He also has a project called Trucks Passing Trucks, and the the, the album is Wave Race 64. That's the the main record that we're going to focus on today. Welcome to the show, Alex.
2: Oh my God, I'm so excited. (laughs) This is so cool. I listen to every episode. And I'm a huge fan of like interview podcasts, especially about like niche music stuff. So I've been a fan since like day one.
3: Awesome. We really appreciate that. That's crazy. I don't know if I I've, I've ever met anyone that's listened to every podcast. No one really tells me, but that's fucking cool, man. Thank yeah. you. <laughs>
2: In my my iTunes Apple Podcast app, it says the date that I finished listening to it, and all of them are checked off. So
3: that's a good feeling. It's a. Uh, Sometimes they're like, you almost finish the episode and then you see that like halfway indicator and it's like, come on, I finished that. Now you got to go back in there. and
2: So I actually had to do that with the Tupperwave (laughs) episode today because I realized, oh, I didn't listen to the last like 10 or 15 minutes. So I went back and listened to the end of that today, which was kind of cool. I should like listen to it again, just before I go on the show, be ready, get in the mindset. <laughs>
3: <So. laughs> it's to a great part. episode, yeah, for sure. Check that episode out, guys, if you haven't heard it. Yeah, I'm stoked to have you on the show, man. I'm very excited i'm I've been a big fan of your projects for a long time. um super stoked that you're a big supporter of Private Suite. You actually um, distribute the magazine through Pacific Plaza Records, which is really dope. It's a partnership that's been going on for a long time, actually, ever since we started. Doing physicals. So that's awesome, man. You're an OG, big time OG. Honestly, when
2: I first saw the magazine, I was like pretty stoked. I had done like punk zines and fanzines when I was like younger. And that kind of stuff's like super important to like the ecosystem of like a growing or a grassroots music scene. So I I looked at the digital issues and I would always read those. But when I finally found out there was going to be physicals, my first thought was like someone needs to distribute this like not everyone gets something through a patreon some people don't support the patreon or they don't know about it and so I just like immediately messaged I don't know if it was Twitter or on Instagram or something and I was just like hey you want someone to distribute these magazines like hit me up I'll pay a wholesale cost and I'll pay for the shipping and then I'll sell them marked up as I need to to like get them out to people and It's been a really great partnership. Um, I've been doing it every single issue that's come out. I'm stoked for the next issue to arrive. I have my own little private suite collection in my uh, record shelves where it's just like I have a copy and a backup copy of every issue. So (laughs) I love it, you know, and I get to send out like sampler CDs, buttons, stickers to all the people who order it through me. So if they go through me, they get a little extra stuff to, you know, make up for the cost. And you get a really cool magazine that you guys have worked really hard on to get into like its final print form. And I know there's been like a lot of trouble with like bindings and print shops doing weird stuff. So it's been pretty cool to watch it grow. And actually I was talking to Ed recently about trying to get you guys a merch booth at electronic too. So that's kind of in the works
3: right now. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's f- fucking cool, so man. We'll,
2: we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens.
3: Yeah, that's that's radical.
2: I'm a big supporter. And I mean, one of the reasons I love supporting it is I want to support the podcast. And I like want to support you continuing to interview people because like Vaporwave podcasts like are what really got me into the scene and made me realize there's like a real community and all the different podcasts that have existed. I've listened to pretty much all the different Vaporwave podcasts that are out there. And a couple of them I've listened to every episode. Some of them I don't listen to regularly. But uh, not to play favorites.
3: Are there any you can recommend to people? Currently, I'm like such a private
2: suite stan right now. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> a private suite. Um, but I do like listening to Future Funk monthly mixes. It's kind of like a podcast. I don't know. Um, I always think their shit's cool. But the two podcasts that got me like pretty deep into Vaporwave got me a lot of like my original recommendations for like albums to check out was the Ozcast that Oscob used to do and then 3Dcast. So I was like huge fans of both of those. Ozcast, I kind of came to right as it was ending and I picked up 3Dcast right as it started. So like that first season that doesn't exist on the internet anymore. You heard it. That was the season that I got into.
3: Oh, sick.
2: So I'd heard that whole season. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm a big 3D blast. Dan, Dan Mason, Sterling, Encardo, like, all those people like listening to them while driving around in my car every day. Like it was like the only <laughs> podcast I listened to was like a group of people hanging out. Most podcasts I mm-hmm. listen to are like one-on-one. So sure. All those guys are super cool. That's why I've hit up a lot of those guys to do releases on my label because like they inspired me so much and I wanted to work with them. And like a lot of them have worked with me or I've like met them in person and, it's pretty crazy, dude. Like, even like meeting you in person was like super freaking cool. Like, same here, man. I'm really excited for LA because we're gonna have like an extra day to like hang out and like go around my stopping grounds
0: and
3: uh yo, chef. Sh- first of all, shout out to you because you're hooking me up with a place to stay on Sunday. So I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> yeah, my homies Anthony and Michaela. They're awesome. They have a cute little dog named Peg that's named after the Steely Dan song.
3: Oh dang. Yeah. <laughs> I- I'm stoked to meet them, man. Yeah. Definitely like shout cool. out to them too if they're listening. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe
2: I'll tell them to listen because it's in the beginning. <laughs> they're not they're not going to listen to 3 hours. They like disco and they like dancing. We used to all do karaoke together at my old warehouse, but we'll see if they cool come. Oh, funk night. I'm going to play some ABBA just so they come, hopefully.
3: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, that's uh thanks again.
2: Anyways, we should get to like real questions before we just end up on a tangent.
3: that's what the show is haven't you don't you understand i know but we're just gonna talk about all the cool stuff we're doing together and like how we're gonna hang out yeah people don't want to hear that or maybe i don't know you told me before you liked hearing about the little it stuff that i talk about like my backup system and how i do the recording and whatever
2: yeah yeah
3: so maybe i don't know (laughs) we'll see i also have my own podcast so i'm kind of a
2: nerd about these things
3: yeah (laughs) well People hit me up and tell me if there's anything you don't want to hear about. If you ever feel like, you can know, move up, get on with it, you know, definitely let me know because I'm just fucking giving her, as we say in Canada.
2: Yeah, I mean, feedback's so important. Like, what's cool about, like, Twitter is you can get immediate feedback. So a lot of podcasts I, like, really like, I try to comment on their stuff. And usually it's positive things, but, like... I. I as a podcaster, like would love getting feedback. Like the couple of times I've gotten emails that have either been constructive or been like really cool suggestions have like honestly been super humbling and like made me feel like really good about what I'm doing. So giving people feedback is super important. Just like with like artists and producers, like they want feedback because it makes them feel good. You get that hit of like
3: serotonin and you know. That's a that's a great point I want to go on that tangent right now real quick if you don't mind and then we'll get into all the other stuff but <clears throat> I find there's a thing in vaporwave sometimes where artists don't always get the constructive criticism that they want because people are just so stoked that they put something out and they're happy with it right but people they want to go that extra mile and some people are like hmm, how do I do that you know am I doing that right you ever yeah you ever,
2: It's it's interesting. I mean, there's certain artists I talk to like personally or DM and like they'll send me new stuff they're working on or like projects they just put out and like they really want feedback. And a lot of time, a lot of it's like super positive because the people that I like choose to respond to and interact with usually are people who are doing things I really like. So I think there is like a tough feedback loop where we're also supportive of each other that we're only saying the supportive things. And that's great. And, like, hopefully that continues going. I think it will. But also, if people want to improve as producers or improve as labels or improve as podcasts, they need, like, constructive feedback as well. So when people message me being like, hey, I haven't gotten my tape. It's been, like, two or three weeks. Like, I don't take that personally. I'm like, right, I need to sit down and, like, do shipping soon. Like, this is something that I'm required to do as a label owner. Or if, like, I have a... A podcast episode coming out, like, I want to make it sound as good as possible. And I want to make sure in my intro and outro, I promote the things that the guest is doing because the podcast exists to help promote them and to help give people more information and insight into their creative process and to their food preferences. So things can't be like so self directed all the time. And I think a lot of producers are just in their own head doing their own thing. And then they're like, here's my work of art. What do you all think?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't be afraid to. To communicate that with people, like, you know, obviously you have to be um, mindful in your approach and, you know, empathetic, whatever. Don't just tear, tear it up, obviously. But if you ever feel like, hey, this could be improved or whatever, you can always message an artist. Like, they want to hear that stuff. You know, just come, come at it with a place from a positivity, right? Like, and uh, I'm sure people want that.
2: Yeah, if you contact the right people, if you contact the right people, they have the free time to give you feedback if it seems like you're coming at it from like an honest and like good-hearted perspective and a lot of people in vaporwave have a lot of free time to do that kind of stuff and they're very generous with their time so if some people aren't down that's fine you just move on like there's so many people out here in the community that want to help everyone grow
3: Oh, big time. Yeah. Well, like, <clears throat> I got a message the other day. I think it was on Discord. I'm just looking now. They sent me the record and they're like, yo, like, give me, you know, I, I like your shit, whatever. Give me an honest opinion of this. And uh, I was like, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, he was super stoked that I told him straight up. It was still good. Like, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I listened to the, the Pad
2: Chennington episode, I was thinking about it recently and he talked about how fiber gave him a huge list of things he needed to work on and change. And it ultimately made his record better, which is exactly what you would want as an artist, you know? So I think
3: mad shouts out to fiber. Yo, dude,
2: that guy is insane. Like next level as fuck. Unbelievable. Next level. Yeah. I have a couple of tracks on like my DJ playlist and like, they're so easy to mix into.
3: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Okay, what are we talking about here? How's California? California is pretty good right
2: now. Uh, It finally stopped being hot and it stopped being humid because I don't like humidity. I don't mind if it's hot, but it's like fall now. So I'm like pretty good on wearing shorts every day. Like I want to wear pants again. But, you know, I've been checking the weather and we're about to get our Indian summer, which I don't know if this is a thing on the East Coast or further north. But like in October, there's like this unusually warm part of the month and it's called the Indian summer it's like the last hurrah of summer that happens during the fall. So that's coming up soon. I check the weather a lot and uh I listen to like a lot of weather soft while I check the weather. So <laughs> <laughs> perfect. How how cold does it get there like in the winter? So I'm in southern California, like just south of Los Angeles, and the coldest it ever it ever really gets is like maybe it gets to like 40 Fahrenheit. But it's extremely rare for it to go below 40 Fahrenheit. And when it does, everyone's like, oh, that's so crazy, dude. <laughs> it snowed like a couple times in Orange County.
0: Crazy,
3: crazy. Everybody freaks out. Bunch of car crashes and shit.
2: If the roads get icy, people have no idea how to drive. Yeah, I've heard that. So that doesn't happen that much. that will happen out in like the mountains. Because like, I'm like really close to the mountains. And then even closer to bigger mountains. So it's really easy to like get out and go see snow in the winter when it does snow. But I do a lot of hiking and I do a lot of outdoor stuff. So I kind of like being near regional parks and wilderness areas. So not so much a big city person.
3: I kind of get that vibe from the label, actually, like wilderness or like, you know, deserted island sort of.
2: It's definitely like nature vibes in it. So my other like music, I don't know, company moniker, kind of like corporation, I put like all my musical endeavors under is called Pacific Nature. Uh, So kind of keeps that vibe. I also have like the corporate kind of palm tree aesthetic. It's supposed to be very suburban Southern California, like business plaza, like office
3: plaza. That's the vibe. Well, I can go ahead. Actually, no, I'll keep that. I want to talk about Pacific Nature a bit more. I was going to say, I can go ahead and delete that question. Um, So tell us who you are, man. Like, what are you about? And what's this whole Pacific Plaza trucks, passing trucks thing?
2: So my name is Alex and I'm like a music person and kind of like my whole life is shaped around doing music in a bunch of different forms. So I put on shows. I've run a couple of record labels. Uh, I currently run a record label. I've played in different bands. I've done touring. I've released like electronic music under Trucks Passing Trucks and released you know CDs, tapes, lathe cuts, all sorts of weird stuff for DIY bands and local bands in Southern California. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do is just do music all the time. But I have a lot of like side jobs that bring in all my income as it stands. <laughs> so I work in an escape room. I started teaching an after-school program recently, and then I do DoorDash. So I like do that gig, gig, gig life, and uh, that's why I listen to a lot of podcasts, actually.
3: <laughs> a lot of time for podcasts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like driving. I like doing road trips, and touring with bands was always fun because I like long-distance driving and seeing different parts of the country, being in a new place every day.
3: Your Instagram is a beautiful thing. <clears throat> I've seen you on your travels and your outdoorsy stuff really i kind of wish i was out there in california looks so nice
2: it is really nice all the time i mean i totally believe west coast best coast uh california probably the best state in the nation like definitely have a lot of regional pride from where i'm from here in orange county and uh i don't mind leaning into the the california aesthetic (laughs) i'm born and bred here but most of my family's originally from the midwest so I have a lot of like Midwestern roots and I've been back to the Midwest a lot and I get along really well with people from the Midwest.
3: Probably That's where that. it comes from. Definitely. Yeah, you so. kind of remind me of like an indie folk singer. You could, you could fit in in Canada really well, actually, with that vibe too. Oh,
2: dude, I would love to go to Toronto. Like I loved so many indie bands from Toronto and was like super inspired by bands like Broken Social Scene, The Most Serene Republic, Do Make, Say, Think. Like I had a post-rock band for a while. And I had like a big like twenty person like family band kind of thing when I was like in high school and college and like I've definitely done all that and like was super into the arts and crafts label, constellation records. Oh sick. All that kind of like Toronto stuff and like uh you know, some of the stuff kind of more up in French Canadia and all that good uh weirdo music, you know? Like I really liked a lot of that stuff. And
3: freaking arts and
2: crafts, they
3: I'm you know, I'm a filmmaker. I was making a film one time and I wanted to use one of their songs, uh, one of the songs by Broken Social Scene for the end credits. And the bands, they said yes, but Arts and Crafts said no. So I didn't get the master so I couldn't use it. So never
2: forget Arts and Crafts like was started by guys who they were in like the major industry, but they were friends with all these indie musicians and they were like, well, why don't we just run our own label instead of working for major labels? But they also have like big distribution deals. They have licensing deals and stuff like that, which probably would have made it like prohibit- prohibitively expensive for a small-time film. Because it's like Broken Social Scenes, just so beyond that right now. Like Broken Social Scenes, way too big for that. Unfortunately, maybe if it was like 2004. Yeah, this was in two, It was 2008. Yeah. Oh, peak so, happened. just missed it. Yeah, that's like around time of like peak indie. <laughs>
3: Uh, you would know the song, too. What the, What the heck song was that?
2: Oh, I definitely would. Last Halloween, I did a Broken Social Scene cover band. <laughs> oh, dang.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, oh. it's one of the earlier songs. I think it was on You Forgot It in People, maybe? Is it an instrumental song? Because it might be from Feel Good Lost. Oh, yeah. I think it is instrumental, actually. That's probably from Feel Good Lost, which so. was their, technically their first oh. record. Oh, it was... Uh, uh bond
2: home at the cbc casey casey
3: Casey. accidental Accidental. yeah
2: yeah yeah you want to get nerdy oh fuck. you got me you (laughs) want to get nerdy okay so casey accidental was originally a project between the bassist and the guitarist kevin drew and brendan canning and they released two albums as casey accidental before broken social scene happened and during that time during casey accidental Brendan Canning was friends with the band Len who had that hit song Steal My Sunshine. Yeah, Steal
3: My Sunshine.
2: Brendan Canning from Broken Social Scene introduced that sample to Len who then used that sample to make the song. Brendan Canning also does dialogue in the beginning and in the middle of the song. So he got royalties on it and he used those royalties to fund future Broken Social Scene records.
3: Fuck, that is cool, man. That's so cool that you know that too. Jesus, I love
2: shit like that. And like, it's like one of those weird Sample related things. So it's kind of vaporwave in a way. Like you listen to Steal My Sunshine by Len. It's a really consistent sample of a disco song.
3: Oh, the part it's like that's like bell, sort of. What is that? I don't know what the name of that sound
2: is. I've been trying to research and find out what the name of that sound is. It's not a cowbell. There's a very specific word for it because it's on a couple different records.
3: It's similar to a cowbell.
2: Yeah, it's on a couple different disco records, and I can't remember what the word is the instrument but if
3: anybody knows let us know
2: yeah i think it's andrea true connection more 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 that gets sampled in that song mm. it's one of my go-to karaoke songs <laughs> steal my sunshine so Sweet. i have yeah karaoke it's awesome it. that you do that oh i love karaoke
3: <laughs> you know it's a big thing here in toronto i've never done it
2: yeah i mean there's probably a lot of like asian karaoke places in toronto i'd assume because it's the same way in like parts of la and in san francisco because there's like large asian populations in certain parts of those cities and so there'll be a lot of karaoke places in like a very specific area and uh mm-hmm. those are really fun to hit up
3: <laughs> yeah here it's like there's not much karaoke culture apart from like you know korean or, you know japanese whatever chinese uh which is cool but like i don't know i'm I don't know anyone that wants to go, so I'm not going to go by myself.
2: Yeah, that's the tough part. You got to like have a crew. You have to have a couple people and all those people have to have a couple songs. They know they're going to sing throughout the night that they can rely on singing. Otherwise, everyone's just like,
3: who's going to sing? Who's going to sing? No, you take me on when we're hanging out.
2: So the two people you're staying with, they love karaoke. they are people I did a lot of karaoke with at my warehouse. When I had a warehouse venue, we would just basically throw our own karaoke nights and then just like do karaoke on the stage at my venue. For no one, just for ourselves.
3: Oh, uh, that's fine, man.
2: Yeah, we have a tradition where we always sing the whole B side of Abbey Road as the last song of our karaoke night. Mm-hmm. So cool. Big karaoke fan.
3: So, Trucks Passing Trucks, tell us about that project. Whew.
2: So, I mentioned earlier that uh, I was doing a lot of touring with bands uh, at one point. And there was this one year where I was touring with this band and I think we did like three or four tours that year. We booked them all ourselves. We had our own like vans and vehicles to do all the tours in. And by the end of the last tour, we did like a five week summer tour. It was like I was feeling really bummed out because I just been watching people play music for five weeks. But I was only on tour as like the tour manager and like merchandise person. And I like booked the tour. So I'd been getting into Vaporwave through the OzCast and like a couple different like albums I discovered through ambient music. And I basically just started trying to like mess with samples and logic. I realized logic wasn't that good for me to do sample-based music. And I got Ableton after I came home from that tour. And I had kind of just like stumbled on the Wave Race soundtrack because I was thinking about like old video games I used to play and like old video games I could use. And Wave Race was the very first N64 game I ever had. And so
3: yeah, it was one of the first games, I think, right? Yeah. It was like Mario 64 and then wave, wave Race. race. Mm-hmm.
2: And they ran out of Mario 64 at Target when me and my brother scrounged up enough money to buy an N64 together. So we got Wave Race instead. Shit. And we loved it. I mean, I loved Wave Race.
3: So you played the shit out of Wave Race, eh? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> did you end up getting Mario? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we totally did. Mm-hmm.
2: But... I had had like a list of names that were like could be for either songs or projects that I just come up with while I've been doing like DoorDash and working other odd jobs over the last couple of years. And trucks passing trucks was one of them, because whenever I drive up the five freeway between Northern and Southern California, you always have this phenomenon where you have a truck trying to pass another truck on a two lane highway and it screws over the entire highway.
3: Oh, fucking scary, too.
2: It's super frustrating. And so that's where the name came from. And I just had kind of like started experimenting with samples. So I came up with the project name Trucks Passing Trucks. And I had a couple of random songs I put out on SoundCloud. But the first full release I did was actually the Christmas EP that's on my Bandcamp. And I had done some Christmas stuff that year because I wanted to contribute to the Contemporary Tapes
3: Christmas compilation. And
2: I was on that actually. That was the first release I was ever on.
3: Oh, yeah. It doesn't exist anymore, eh?
2: I'm working on that, actually. I'm going to try and bring that back and reissue it. (gasps) Oh, oh, fuck. Seriously? I got a digital copy of it. I actually have the original tape because I bought it secondhand off someone. And the next step of the process is to contact all the artists that were involved. Some of them have already given me permission. Uh, Some of them I haven't reached out to yet. I'm so crazy busy right now. It's just something on my list I haven't done yet. But I have a couple months to do it. So,
3: Dude, you you are the fucking best
2: there's gonna be a lot of exclusive info in this interview and i'm gonna give you some exclusive tracks to play at
3: the end yeah dude seriously like i was talking about that i was talking about that like a month ago with a bunch of people i was like dude where the fuck is this album where can i get it like we searched and like we could not find it i think i think we found somebody i so
2: i was trying to search it too and I couldn't find it by searching as well. And I've gotten pretty good at like internet archaeology, so to speak, and finding old releases, zips, and rars and stuff. I got in contact with Sonicon, and big shouts out to Sonicon. They hooked me up with a digital version. So
3: fucking right,
2: Sonicon. They gave me permission as well. So big shouts out to them.
3: Fucking right. I, I love your music, Sonicon. I got your tapes. Let's do a podcast. The <laughs> <laughs> serious. Dude, that's huge. Like, I don't know if people realize that is insane news. Yeah, I'm going to
2: corner the market on
3: Vaporwave
0: Christmas this year.
3: (laughs) Yeah, really. Well, I love that Vaporwave Christmas album. Like you had people, like you were saying, people submit songs Mm -hmm. to that, right?
2: Yeah, I did one last year because I love Christmas music. So I've done my own personal Christmas release almost every year for the last like eight or nine years now. But... Back in the past, it was always as like my folk projects or like soft rock projects or like band stuff. And then finally, I guess it'd be two years ago, I did the Vaporwave Christmas one. And then a year later, Pad Chennington used the music from it in his video. So now I'm thinking a year after that, like, might as well just reissue like a tape and mini CD version because I like making cool products for my own music. And it will be really nice and it'll be fun. I have the original uh, like wrapping paper I used to make the album art for my EP. So I'm going to rescan things and remaster the album art for tape and all that kind of cool stuff. Cause I love putting a lot of like hands on work and like my own graphic design and design work into my releases. That's what like really attracted me to doing vaporwave and deciding to start a label because it so
3: oh, looks so good, bro. Yeah. And I
2: had like so much fun doing my trucks passing trucks release that I was just like, I can do this for other artists. Like I have these skills already because I've run a couple different record labels in the past. And the problem with all those labels is I made really cool, nice stuff. And no one bought it unless the bands went on tour or got popular. Most of the bands never went on tour. Most of the bands never got popular. So I just sunk, like, a lot of money into bands for years. And, like, some of them are really cool. i still friends with a lot of those people. Some of those people I had fallings out with. And, like, when I discovered Vaporwave, I was like, holy crap, here's, like, another grassroots music scene where, like, I'm making friends and I'm, like, appreciating all these artists and, like, what they're doing. Um, Maybe I can use my skills to help them. And even since then now, like, over a year later after starting the label... I'm moving on to like the next phase of what I've been thinking about, which is helping people book live tours and helping people book, or helping people book tours and helping people book live shows. So that's like my next step I'm working on now because the label stuff kind of it's going, it's busy, but it kind of runs itself. I have a process that I've developed over the last year that helps me get stuff out pretty quick. I think I could be putting more promotion into what I'm doing right now. But with all this electronic on stuff, it's like super thrown me for a loop because I had a lot of releases planned for the fall. And I rerouted a lot of them to coincide with the tape swap and electronic on two. So I'm pushing out a lot of releases really fast in the next couple of weeks. But some of those releases are going to be sold exclusively live for the artist to make all the profits. So it's a give back to some of the new it's a give back to some of the new artists I'm working with
3: live. You mean like at the set?
2: Yeah. So data girl, I'm putting out a, a cassette for her and she's performing live.
3: Dude, she tweets private suite all the time. Yeah.
2: Super cool person. There's like a whole deep story to how like we met and know each other, actually, because we know each other sort of like in real life, which is cool. Um, and then eventual infinity, I saw a bunch of his live performance videos on I don't know, Twitter, Instagram. And I was like so impressed because I really liked his music. So I was like, hey, you should come bring your like, because I asked him about his controller setup because it was like really cool looking. I was like, could you bring that down to L.A. and do you want to perform at the tape swap? And he was like, yes, of course. And I was like, why don't we also put out a tape of your last EP, release it that day in person. You can sell them at your merch table, keep all the money, and we'll put 10 of them all online.
3: Fuck fuck yeah, dude. You're the best,
2: dude. That's so cool. So we're doing the same thing with Data Girl and Ventral Infinity to release two tapes that day. I think so the Power PCME release I'm doing. I think we're trying to release it before the tape swap. I gotta talk about that with him. It's like... We're doing a really special cassette shell design for that. And it might take longer. So I'm not sure where I'm at with that. Although all the art is already and the tapes just showed up the other day. So those are like three releases that came on the docket within the last month that I got to push out by mid-October. And then I just announced today that we have uh, the Mist reissue with the remix album on the B-side, which has hella good producers on that B-side. And then a micro liquid surf album, AKA Sierra mist reissuing one of his tapes. Cause I fucking love his work. He's an insane vapor trap producer that way more people need to know about.
3: Oh, definitely.
2: So that'll be my second release with him. He also did the Wikipedia tape. That was super sick.
3: Mm -hmm. Damn. You got so much going on. Like you're doing so much work for other people, dude. Like that's, what I was going to say at the beginning of the show, you're not just a label and whatever. You're like a big participant and help like a, in the community like you um you get people going with shit like you're uh what's the word
2: i'm an enabler <laughs> <laughs> and usually that's used in the context of enabling people with like drugs which smoking cigarettes i've gotten yeah i have had a lot of friends that picked up smoking cigarettes because of or bands i toured with they started smoking while they would go on tour all the time because i was smoking and i actually quit at the beginning of the summer so it's kind of funny now but like good 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 job man yeah a lot of crazy shits happened in my life the last year but also in the last couple months with like electronicon the summer was a very interesting summer for me and the label's been doing like really well so i've landed some great releases which have allowed which basically allowed me to like pay for my trip to electronicon one and then i worked really hard to like support mike on the tape swap like it wasn't me bottom lining everything it was definitely mike from video punks but any way I could help with promotion with organizing things I got private suite involved I brought in a couple different vendors and live performers like the Picari sweat guys and that tape slot was like so great and then the day of I tried to do everything I could to help support Mike whether it was watching the shop staying behind to pick up bottles and cans and clean up literally on my hands and knees cleaning up spills on the floor from people like you know I already know how to do all this stuff and it's just like second nature to me because I ran a warehouse venue and like I've dealt with all that before and like I can bring these skills to Vaporwave as Vaporwave starts to go like IRL essentially. So uh, that's what I'm here for and like seeing all the things at Electronicon like made me think like this is like something like viable to put a lot of energy into because it will come back to me. And the label itself, I split profits 50-50 on every release with the artists those profits paid for my trip to electronica and i essentially took a business trip and then people bought out almost everything i brought to the tape swap which was just like unbelievable
3: wow and
2: so i'm like hoping i can transition more into doing music and creative stuff instead of doing tour and working two or three jobs all the time and that's something i've been trying to work on all year where uh I pay myself for doing things. I don't just do everything for free anymore. Like I spent years doing so much for free, doing things for really cheap, trying to grow like our local music scene here. And it just like, it was disappointing in a lot of ways. I got screwed over by a number of people. Like I raised $10,000 to open up like a youth oriented and run like music venue and art space. And this dude like took over the nonprofit and pretty much just like ruined it for everyone. And then got shut down by the city, (laughs) you know, and like, Spent years booking shows to like make that collective happen. We got nonprofit status, like everything. And then, like, one person essentially ruined it all. And I like woke up one day and I couldn't access like the nonprofit's emails and the nonprofit documents anymore. And I was like, well, I see how this is going. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> Jesus, man. So I've always operated really independently because I've been screwed over by a number of different people. I've put out 500 copies of a vinyl record and sold like. Thirty of them. Like I've been in those positions before. Yeah, and it made things really frustrating in a lot of different aspects of my life. But there was always been a new project or something else that is doing really well or is kind of going through different phases of being very green and very like fruitful. So like I had a venue for just over a year, and there were some really great times at the venue. There's some really shitty times, but ultimately I paid for like a lot of it out of pocket for like six months. And lost like thousands of dollars running a warehouse, music venue, and art gallery. And then right as it was starting to turn around and it was going to start paying back all the debt it owed me, essentially, like we got shut down. (laughs) (laughs) And like three months before that, the studio and living space I built out into the warehouse next door got flooded by a marijuana grow operation. That was our neighbor. And the landlord didn't want to do anything to... Clean up the mold, and I was like, "I'm so stressed right now. I can't live in a mold-filled studio. Like, we just gotta like leave." And so we had to move out of our studio, and our li- I had a bedroom in there that I built literally with my own two hands. <laughs> and a lot of crazy shit happened for me in 2018, but Vaporwave has been something that's been like really good and been pretty consistent. And like when I put work into it, like I'm seeing results, and I'm meeting really cool people, and I'm getting a lot of support. And it's like super humbling. And
3: you kinda you, you kinda get what you put out there, right? You're so helpful and shit.
2: I'm very thankful. And I want to put more into it because I think a lot more could come out of it as Vaporwave goes IRL. That's kind of like the era I'm seeing us in right now. Is I'm gonna keep saying it. Vaporwave goes IRL. <laughs>
3: <laughs> For sure. I I think it's chapter three. That's what I say. It's interesting to think it's interesting to think of the ways
2: people kind of separate the errors of vaporwave a lot of people do it with like labels different like cliques of people that have existed i think about it a lot in terms of the different podcasts that have existed (laughs) uh just because like that's been one of my biggest like ways of interfacing with the vaporwave community is like listening to people talk about it which i super i super love and being someone who drives around a lot and going on tours like I got really into listening to podcasts a couple years ago and I have a lot of music podcasts I follow pretty closely and I have a lot of like niche genre podcasts I follow very closely and I'm pretty much just in like the music podcast world like I don't really get outside of that
3: yeah that's uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there man it's crazy that you uh, are able to you know like you say you kind of comment and shit when you have tips or you know commentary whatever uh you kind of participate a lot in whatever it is you do vaporwave or these other things you're like i was saying your instagram there's so much stuff on there with you and other bands and you're talking about record labels and stuff oh yeah yeah you're definitely into music it sounds like
2: that's my life dude i mean
3: yeah so how did you how did you discover vaporwave then so
2: there is a facebook post i couldn't find where at some point, I might have been like 2015 or 16. I would know. It would have had to be 2015 or 14. Or I asked, what is Vaporwave? Because I've been hearing that this thing like existed. And it was like an internet music genre. And uh, a friend of mine, I remember from that post, he posted a link to Echo Jams. And I think someone also suggested 2814. Because at that time, I was really into ambient music. And the warehouse I was living in, uh, I met those guys in a practice space where we would kind of have like jam bands and like noise projects. And we do like experimental music shows with like ambient performers and improvised stuff. So I was like really into like a lot of ambient and improvised music. And I kind of dovetailed into Vaporwave through that, especially with like 2814. And then people kind of showed me some of like the hallmarks of Vaporwave, like Macintosh Plus and uh, Blank Banshee. And then I was looking at my Bandcamp wish list recently, because that is like the biggest clues to what like I was getting into or what got me into it. Because <laughs> I started using the Bandcamp app like maybe a year before I got into Vaporwave. I started using it a lot to follow bands. And I'm scrolling back right now. I have like a thousand things on my wish list. So this is gonna be rough. Okay, here we go. Mm. you right. U.S. Golf 95. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like. Nice. I really liked the early U.S. golf stuff. Cobalt Road, Virtual Four Twenty by Two Forty P. I remember I got into business casual pretty early. I really liked a lot of stuff on business casual because it was dovetailing with disco music and like French House. And I really got into like seventies American disco when I was in college. And I used to like try and dig for like the deep records on like sometimes well-known labels, sometimes unknown labels. I was really into a lot of those like reissue labels, like Numero group that were putting out stuff. And I got really into Caribbean music and other sorts like funky and groovy 70s stuff. And I had a disco band at one point, actually, a disco cover band that we played in 2010 and 11. And so all these things were kind of like playing into Vaporwave and they were all like influences and stuff that was being sampled. And it like super caught my attention and I just started like getting deeper and deeper into it. I definitely found the Oz cast in those early days and I got a lot of recommendations from stuff he talked about and looked into a lot of the artists he was interviewing, kind of found out about a lot of like the legendary releases and like big hallmarks. And then I think around that same time, I was kind of like asking what is Vaporwave and learning about Vaporwave uh, from random friends on Facebook. I talked to Reverb Light. I don't know if people remember Reverb Light. He was like an OG during the SPF 420 days and has one of the like early releases on Business Casual. So I tour managed his post-rock band. <laughs> and we talked about Vaporwave a lot. Um, this would have been 2018. We talked about it a lot. And I kind of updated him on the scene. It was very interesting. But... Back in 2016, he was kind of telling me stuff about how it started with like Vectroid and people in tiny chat and people in like these different online uh, forums and chat rooms making tracks for each other and essentially DJing for each other and kind of explain like the political sort of political stuff there, how some of it was true, some of it wasn't true, some of it was pure just like experimentation and weirdness. But a lot of those people had kind of similar left-leaning values i would say or progressive leaning values and like experimental and avant-garde values musically and i was like okay cool like i'm totally like i totally get this i'm like on this train i started just discovering tons of releases listening to the 3d cast when that was around and getting just like super into all sorts of different artists and when i came home from that tour that I was talking about in 2017, I was already listening to a lot of Vaporwave. i had already started listening to the podcasts and I just started making it. <laughs> and it was like a creative outlet for me when I really like had nothing going on musically. Like my band wasn't playing much. I hadn't released anything of my own in like years. I had been working for all these other people and trying to help all these other people in our local music scene. And a lot of it ultimately didn't pan out. So I got into Vaporwave and then I was making tracks around the time I started making tracks and then I made the way race albums when I opened my music venue <laughs> so I got, like had opened my music venue and I was like starting to make and release music and I've kind of Wait, just been, so like,
3: you, ha- you have a music venue that you you own I, no I had one what? I opened okay. up a music venue
2: at the end of 2017 and it closed at the beginning of 2019 and my studio got moved into the venue for a while but uh. I just uh, kind of been like full, full bore Vaporwave and like super deep in the community, participating, making music, releasing music since like uh, basically end of 2017. Mm-hmm. And yeah,
3: I didn't think I would shift into it as hard as I did. Like I'm still into metal and drum and bass and whatever, like here and there, or other music. Like I, I listen to other music, but most of the things I do with my time are always Vaporwave related.
2: Yeah, it's increasingly becoming like that for me. I mean, when I ran the venue, I would like spins. I would like spin vaporwave records in between bands, which was always really fun because like I've been collecting a lot of vinyl. And actually recently I just kind of came to terms with the fact that I am a collector and I'm spending a lot of money buying stuff. Now I'm buying secondhand things like at prices that are good because I know what they're worth. But then it's like, oh, man, I know what this shit's worth now. And I like think about that. Like, damn it. <laughs> it got me. I just got a cat court tape off someone for a really good deal. <laughs> And I'm trying to collect more Cat Corp stuff because he was one of the original artists I got into uh, the Tuesday Al or sorry the News at Eleven album. So it's Tuesday on the spine. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, that was like super inspirational for me. I was like, holy crap! Like the conceptualness of some of these vaporwave things is literally next fucking level. Like that album is so next level as cultural commentary. Like it's insane. Like me and a couple friends listen to that album every year on nine eleven. Now for the past, I would guess two or three years and we just talk about it because we all live through it and like it's crazy the way it get it that album gets me to think and reflect on like my childhood and like pl- pl- the politics of the contemporary era you know uh, definitely so stuff like that like super drew me in there's certain albums I still listen to like all the time that were like discovered in my like early days like uh the Cobalt Road Stack Overflow uh Biospheres album freaking love that album I listen to that when I drive through the desert all the time. Like, oh, and like a lot of Dan Mason stuff. I've been a big fan of Dan Mason for a long time. Dan Mason, luckily, has never called the cops on me yet, but he's threatened a lot, a lot of threats from Dan Mason. Oh,
3: he'll, he'll be here tonight, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm worried. He's coming to California, and uh, he could call the cops on me. And the only good thing is that weed is legal out here, so he, he's got no, no recourse there.
3: Yeah. By the way, that was uh, Alex's joke, everybody. The Dan Mason calling the cops. Shout out to you, Alex. Thank you.
2: <laughs> it's actually Dan Mason's joke. So Dan Mason used to say that on the 3D cast all the time. I just like kept Dan Mason's Dan Mason joke going for, I guess, a couple of years now at this point. I don't know how he feels about that, but like I brought it up in person and he played along. So that's cool. <laughs> But I I also pulled a chair out from under him at the tape swap and he didn't realize it. And he fell on the floor and I felt really bad. So I think he might hate me. (laughs) Oh, fuck. It was supposed to be a joke. I totally thought he realized I was doing that to him (laughs) because we had just been talking about putting the chair away. So sorry, Dan. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I won't friend him on Facebook. I know it's going to be awkward.
3: (laughs) All good. Yeah.
2: Dude, I've become friends with so many people on Facebook since Electronicon. It's like very overwhelming, honestly. Because I already have yeah. like 2,000 Facebook friends from like doing music stuff and from working with touring mm-hmm. bands. And, and you um, actually know them out all. Of control. Well, I've met most of them. There's a lot of people who add you just because they want you to book them in the future. And then I realize that that's what they want and I unfriend them. Mm, true, yeah. I, I do unfriend and unfollow people a lot actually. And I just have to like, I got to regulate my social media stuff. It's a wild world out there. And I grew up alongside of it, like token millennial in the house right here. And I grew up alongside of it and I try to keep it as private, but also accessible as I can. And there's just some people I don't want to deal with, especially if it's like people who are underage. I worry about that unless it's like dealing with them in a show or business context where like their parents are there. Like we would have kids who were like 15 or 16 play my venue. But for the most part, their parents were always there. And I was like, cool, this makes me feel a lot better. But yeah, there's a lot of underage kids that would come to like shows I was doing and the nonprofit I was part of worked with a lot of underage kids in bands and like drew an all ages crowd. I've been a very big proponent of all ages and accessibility when it comes to music and art. And, nice. you know, I just I get to like, be careful about my private life because there's some weirdos in vaporwave. And there's some really cool people. And I'm trying to meet the really cool people. <laughs> Gotta watch out. I mean, there are people who have like that DIY grassroots background, whether it's from being in punk music or being in other music scenes. And those are the people I really like meeting because usually they're very motivated, like I am, to make things happen. And they want to work on projects and talk about projects they're working on. And they want to participate and they want to be a part of something and contribute to it. And so those are the people I gravitate towards, people like you, you know?
3: (laughs) (laughs) For sure, man. Like-minded people, right? That's the idea. Mm Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about your uh, label a little bit. Pacific Plaza Records. Yes. You've had a lot of cool artists on there, like Twin Pines. The homie. Twin Pines Mall, for those who don't know. VCR Classique. Sim Tycoon, which is actually... Vito. Vito from DMT. Uh, How did you hook up with Vito for that? Like, What's the story behind that? City Limits is the record. Sim Tycoon. It's fucking amazing. Check it out. Yeah. So...
2: I would hear Vito on the 3D cast a lot. I followed DMT tapes and I would get a lot of like new music from them and also look in their back catalog at like older releases. And I actually followed, a, I think it was called the Vaporwave is Dead 2 event that he did where there was an album coming out every day. And that was a summer where I was working and doing a lot of DoorDash and doing a lot of driving to shows. And I, would, I think I was on tour for part of it. So I listened to a lot of those releases. And I was keeping up like almost every day with the new stuff that was coming out. And I found a lot of new artists there. That's actually where I found VCR Classique. So I hit up Vito and I was like, hey, would you be interested in releasing uh, something that's less than 22 minutes that can fit on a, a three-inch mini CD on my new label I'm doing? And he was like, yeah, I'm like I've been working on a Sim Tycoon release. It would be, how do you feel about like, kind of like video game themed things? Because I know you did the Wave Race 64 album. And I was like, dude, I don't know how you know this, but like i am literally been playing SimCity Four for the last couple weeks straight, and I was like, "Yes, we need to do this release. Like, this is going to be sick. I'll like remaster the album art. I'm going to make a logo for you, and like put together like a whole package with like buttons and everything for this." And he was just like super down and sent me the music, and I pretty much promoted the hell out of that one. We did the first tape giveaway. That was technically the first non trucks passing trucks tape that I ever produced for the label, but uh, I think. Blashy is the only person who has a copy of that giveaway version, which has special art that's a little bit different than the reissue we just did a month ago. So Mm -hmm. we're going to do another project together and Vito's working on it right now. So that'll be coming out this winter.
3: Ooh, cool.
2: I mean, I try and treat my artists right. And I think Vito really appreciated that, which, you know, makes me very happy, obviously. But, you know, all the artists, I send them a little bundle of buttons. So they have some to give out to their friends or their family or whatever they want to do with them. I send them a bunch of extra stickers. I send them a couple copies of their release depending on the format. And if they want, like I've been sending label t-shirts out to some of them at a, like a significantly reduced price, basically just the cost of manufacturing. Nice. And, like all the artists I work with really appreciate it. And then I keep track of how much sells. And once we make back the manufacturing cost, all the profits after that are split 50-50. And I've sent a lot of people like real ass money, like not just giving them a free copy of their tape or whatever, like that they get automatically. That doesn't even count against their profits. Like I just send that, pay for the cost of all of that because artists deserve it. And then, you know, sometimes a week later, sometimes a couple months later, I send them money on PayPal. Like I'm the first person who ever paid Tupperwave.
0: <laughs> what?
2: Yeah, go figure, right? I mean, I'm sure, That's... I'm sure in the last month with some of those releases that came out, like, You know, my pet Flamingo and other people probably paid him. But a lot of artists only get free copies of their tapes. They don't ever see residual profit from their releases. And I think that's kind of a problem because that just makes less incentive for artists to release on labels. And essentially, as a label, if you're just stealing all the profits, well, okay, I won't say stealing all the profits. If it takes all the profits to pay for making it, maybe you're making something inefficiently. So I do all my stuff in-house to get the best prices on things. I have a local print shop I work with who gives me great deals because I'm a super consistent customer that sends them stuff every week. And I send them stuff for other non-vaporwave things too, which you know helps in getting my prices down. But I, dub, I make all my master tapes here. Um, I have another friend who runs a Ska and Hardcore label, and he has a stereo duplicator that we bought together, and we try and maintain it together. And when we have problems, we fix them. And so we duplicate all of our tapes high speed and stereo, and it keeps the costs really low. So I have more profits left over to split with my artists and so the artists get paid more money. And so like if an artist sells out like 25 run of 25 tapes with me, they will get a PayPal payment as well as getting copies of it themselves. And like I definitely believe in treating people right. Sometimes it, if stuff doesn't sell well, like it takes a while to pay the manufacturing cost off. Uh, at the very, be- very beginning of the label, I thought mini or three inch mini CDs were going to sell a lot better than they did. So I made like way too many copies of the first couple releases, which I feel kind of dumb about. But as I've done tape versions of those, I've been able to pay people like VCR Classique. I've paid that guy right, as well. You know, like uh, no one knows who VHS Jazz is, but I have paid VHS Jazz as well. I do. I was surprised how well that sold. Yeah. Why? Uh, Because they wanted to remain anonymous. So I didn't know if people would find that much interest in it.
3: The tape looks amazing.
2: But yeah, the artwork looks really good. I got like a lot of times when I work with an artist, I try and get their original source material and I essentially remaster it myself because most people design their art for being on a computer screen, which is displayed RGB, red, green, blue. When you're printing stuff on like nice cardstock, it prints in CYMK. Because those are the constituent parts that make up all the colors on the spectrum. So I have to like convert profiles and redo colors on certain things. I'll redo the text to look nicer so it's like vectored and it doesn't look all pixelated. And I just try and make everything look really nice. You know, like that's what I care about. Like that's one of the things that inspired me to start the label is that when I did my own release, I put so much like cool handmade work and details into it. Like designing the the tape spines and like doing ob strips or making the buttons and designing a button out of pieces of the album artwork or uh, in the case of city limits i literally made a version of the SimCity 4 logo that said sim tycoon sm and it looked fucking tight
3: oh <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into making the, your pin your buttons like you've been doing that for fucking ever yeah i think i bought my button maker mm, i want to say 2012 or 13
2: Basically, when I was in bands in college and high school, we would always pay other people to make buttons. And back in those days, it was like the punk price was 20 bucks for 100 buttons. And we could just like, you know, message someone on MySpace, and then they would send it to us. And eventually, I was just like, you know, I want to be able to make buttons. A, because I love buttons. B, because like paying someone else to do something I could be doing myself or be getting paid to do for other people is what i want to do so i had a little side hustle and so i just started designing buttons for local bands and making them buttons i'd make them for my own record label i'd make them for my zines i made them for the pacific nature records when i had that when i had another label called diy for life records i made buttons for that and then i'll make them for like local artists um who want to have their art in button form and just have little things to give away or make a little two or three pack to sell for a couple bucks And I've just continued doing them forever. I give buttons for free at people. um, I give free buttons to people who come to my shows when they come to the different shows I do around Southern California. And every order from Pacific Plaza usually gets a free button. And every release has a exclusive button for it.
3: Damn, man. You must
2: be fucking sleeping in buttons. Swimming in buttons. I buy them in quantities. I buy my parts in quantities of thousands. So, you know. Yeah. I can imagine so yeah every once in a while I run out and it's like oh I gotta go buy 2,000 more parts now and get them shipped here and then <laughs> you know hopefully get some big orders or it might be just me giving away a thousand buttons via the label but I, I do manufac I do count the cost of making the buttons and the manufacturing of the tapes so that does count in like the spreadsheets I have because I make spreadsheets for every release for how much all the constituent parts cost and I factor that in but it's like a couple bucks extra to have a free button with every tape that's definitely worth it. Yeah. So well
3: good on you, man. That's fucking super cool. I love the label and I love how it's all it's all you, man. DIY.
2: Yeah, that's the thing.
3: And uh you do so many interesting things with it.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of people are asking me, like, is there anyone else that like runs the label with you? And the short answer is no. The longer answer is I'm essentially like a production manager for the label. Like I'm buying the tapes, making sure they get manufactured, doing quality control on my master tape. But I outsource a lot of things to different people that can do it cheaply and efficiently. And then there's certain things I do myself that help keep costs down. So I send my prints to a print shop that's a locally owned print shop here in Orange County. It takes them a couple of days to get it back to me. I have I'll do all my stuff on really big sheets of paper. So I can do a lot of like J cards on one sheet of paper. Or I can print like 12 stickers on one sheet of paper for the tapes. And basically, I do the layouts for that and bring the cost down as much as I can to make J cards and to make the stickers that I score by hand, put them all together in the tape shell and send it out to people. And I do all the shipping here as well. But I've been been luckily finding ways to make that more efficient because I ended up with lots and lots of orders when I started distributing the magazine and when I started putting out like more popular albums.
3: Yeah, it's a, it can be, get crazy real real fast, eh? Yeah,
2: when you get like 25 <laughs> private speed orders on top of you just had to run a 25 tape sellout and a couple people bought mini CDs as well. Like, okay, I got like 50 things sitting in the queue here. Time to start shipping.
3: <laughs> yeah, I get that blood pumping. Time to work.
2: Yeah, I just sit down, hammer it all out, tape up all the packages, package them very nicely. I try to put cardboard stiffener in every package, whether it's a tape, a mini CD or whatever. I put cardboard stiffeners in it try and wrap it in bubble wrap as well. Then the actual mailers themselves are also bubble wrapped. I try and reuse the little extra parts of the stickers. I reuse the extra parts of the stickers to decorate the package. So it kind of looks a little special. And uh, I actually have have a new thing I'm adding to upcoming orders that I, uh, I guess I kind of stole from a podcast. There's a podcast called Other Labels. And the guy just interviews people who run record labels. And one of the labels was talking about how when they send out orders, they put a little business card in there that has a download code for a different release on the label. And I was like, oh shit, that's genius. Like, how did I not think of that? Like, I have so many Bandcamp download codes and I can't get them all out of there and I can't use all these free downloads. So why not put them in packages for people who are buying stuff to get some extra free downloads? And then I have a select amount of cards that also have a discount code on them. So next time you buy something, you can use the discount code. So I'm trying to give those to people who buy stuff a lot because they're paying shipping a lot. And so essentially a discount code will cover most of the shipping if you're like domestic and you're just buying one tape. That's the goal.
3: Fuck yeah, man. That's super cool. I never heard of that.
2: Just want to give back. And I also have, well, yeah, I'll just say it now. I guess there's a discount code in Private Suite Magazine as well if you find our ad in in the most recent issue. We got a special Private Suite discount. So for all you Private Suite listeners, now you can all go find it because it's in the digital version as well. So, whatever. But I've been thinking a lot about... Careful like, now. I know. But I've been thinking a lot about the economics of Vaporwave recently. And a lot of things are very expensive. And I've kind of realized why. And a lot of it is due to the way people manufacture things and the way they yeah. distribute things. And so, I come from a world where tapes were always $5. Like, a full album was just like $5 from a punk band. And the tapes would look nice. I would make nice tapes when I was like, doing stuff with punk bands and i would even make runs of 100 using a professional duplicator here in los angeles who would do pad printing on the tapes and stuff and they'd be super loud super high quality and full double-sided album artwork and it would cost like 170 bucks for 100 tapes like that is what most indie labels and diy labels were kind of assuming when they're like getting large runs of tapes done. Like the more tapes you do, the cheaper they should be. That's why a label like Crash Symbols can do 400 luxury elite tapes and they're six bucks each. Like maybe people in Vaporwave need to actually start considering that. And maybe you don't do 30 tapes through duplication.ca because the cost per tape is going to be really high. And that puts a lot of risk on the release. You know, if the release doesn't sell well, then you lose out on a lot of money and you pay for all those tapes. They're just sitting on the shelf.
3: Yeah, that's you, a good call. But yo. if you
2: lower the price to lower than $7, maybe you're not making enough money to pay for all the tapes because Bandcamp takes 10%. PayPal takes a little bit as well for processing fees. Like, you're al- like if someone uses a discount code, they're already taking 10 or 15% off the top that Bandcamp's also going to take 10% on and PayPal's going to take a little bit on as well. So it actually doesn't leave the label with a lot of money. And so I understand why some labels like can't pay artists, even if they're doing professionally duplicated tapes. Because the runs are so short. And we know they're very popular albums out there that can be done on larger runs of tapes. And hopefully that keeps happening. I love the luxury elite tape I just got from Crash Symbols. It's really nice. It's even shrink wrapped, you know? And they also did the same thing where they had a code card that had two other albums I could download. I went and downloaded them. I wish I could have seen what they were because I don't think I really enjoy them. But I thought it was really cool that they did that. And they also signed it. So you could tell there's a personal touch behind it. Nice. And their stickers really, really nice. This crash symbol sticker is really nice. This is like a sticker you put on a hydro Yeah,
3: it's like the white and black blob. Yeah, thing.
2: and the material is just like thick, and it
3: looks water. Material is good, man. Woo! The recent thing I was experimenting with was
2: the holographic stickers through Print Runner, and I think my holographic stickers look really cool. I wish the holographic part was bigger, but I don't know if they're waterproof, which is kind of a bummer. And when you're giving stuff away for free, you just got to like weigh the cost of how much it is versus how cool it is. And in this case, doing as many stickers as I did was worth it. But to send out like really nice quality stickers isn't cheap, you know? And like labels like Geometrical Buy that send out tarot cards and stuff as well, like that costs money. So, like, I know why like Geometrical Buy stuff costs a little bit more, but also they put a lot of really high quality work into what they're making. So that's worth it. But then you see some labels selling stuff for like $10, where it's like you could have had someone manufacture that and. If you'd done a hundred instead of fifty, it would have been half as much to get them manufactured. So maybe you could have brought the price of the tape down, and more people would have bought it.
3: There's a tape on. Uh, do you know Neo Motel?
2: I was looking at some of their stuff recently. That new cassette album has a banger I like.
3: Yeah, it's really nice. But fuck, is it, they're so expensive, Neo Motel, and they just aren't they in Oklahoma, like? Uh, yeah i think so but getting stuff made in the u.s isn't that expensive
2: yeah yeah exactly it's just expensive when you do like 10 to 15 copies like when i buy blank tapes it is it's expensive to buy less than 25 copies that's why my minimum run is 25 because you get a nice discount when you buy 25 blank tapes from most places actually because like that's what they tend to be manufactured in bundles of and shipped in bundles of so i always start everyone out with 25
3: right yeah, I think they start were 50 or 75. I don't remember, but it's a nice looking tape. But and it's all, so are all their tapes, but they're just so expensive. And I don't see why. Like, it's so weird. I mean, if you're splitting
2: profits with an artist, you need to charge more. So there's more profits on your tapes. I mean, I get that. And I get some people want to be paid for their time and some people want to make money off it. And honestly, like I see this as a viable thing that can give me a couple hundred extra dollars every month. If I'm selling 100 tapes every month and all my artists are going to get paid as well, and the label's kind of paying for itself right now. We haven't had too many flops since we started doing cassettes. Before I was doing cassettes, I wasn't selling much at all, honestly, besides my own release. <laughs> that's probably because it was on cassette. But I did sell a lot of mini CDs of Wave Race as well, and the DVDs and the VHSs. I did like every format I could. And there's actually still more formats I want to do that I think I probably will do for its two year anniversary. <laughs> Because like I love I love making things, so I found someone that can make me mini discs in America, and I think I might do a mini disc version. And then I kind of want to try and use Q rates and do a vinyl version because I've never released vinyl in the vaporwave world. I did a eight inch lathe cut of it. That's like out of fifteen. I had a friend who was running a lathe cut business, so they made me like fifteen lathe cuts of the Wave Race album, and I sold well, they're all sold out, obviously at this point, but I don't know how many copies I even have lying around because I didn't think there was gonna be that much interest, and I had gotten the lathe cuts made before the album came out, so once the album came out and did really well, I was like, "Oh shit, these lace will probably like sell really fast, so I'm gonna make sure I don't put them all up for sale, and then some of them are like wonky or don't play because I can't get more made like that was a one and done thing like that person doesn't run a
3: lathe cut company anymore. <laughs>
2: And it was on an eight inch, a square eight inch.
3: <laughs> oh wow. Square? Yes. Yeah. That's cool though So I don't
2: know. I love weird formats. And growing up in like the DIY punk scene and touring in like folk punk bands when I was like a teenager and in college, a lot of people would do weird formats as well as like weird packaging. So like I have some CDRs that are like packaged with like string and like pieces of wood and stuff and like all sorts of crazy things like in hand sewn cases. Like I have tons of weird physical formats and weird like packaging stuff. I had like tried to do like a weird packaging only experimental music label with a friend. And we were like recording and producing everything out of our warehouse. But it never really took off. He got a graphic design job in LA and kind of pieced out and I got busy with running my venue. And so I think there's some like evidence of it online. But I had done a couple of really weird formats, including a mini CD that was packaged in a box with a uh, packet of like herbs that like had different aromas for healing. <laughs> and then we did like a music video that our friend Astral Violet made with some liquid light projections. And yeah, we were like doing lots of weird stuff, but it never went anywhere, and we had no community around it, and we were kind of just isolated weirdos in the suburbs doing experimental and ambient music together. And eventually, that kind of like dovetailed in vaporwave. I actually wanted to use that label name for my vaporwave label, and the guy was like, "Nah, I just want to put that whole thing to rest, like delete it and stuff." And I was like, "Nah, it's fine by me. Whatever." Like, <laughs> sure, but yeah, I mean, I put out a triple cassette album once for me and my friend James. We had a, a improvised guitar project uh, where we do field recordings, and then we would do improvised guitar music to those field recordings. And it would all be recorded on like four track cassette decks. So it was all analog. And then we would like mess with like the bead to slow it down. And then we'd re-record it to another cassette deck and stuff like that. And we play it at different speeds and play stuff backwards and like mess around with it. And then I think we only put them on SoundCloud. And we made a couple tapes to sell at like a like, couple shows we ever played. But I like tapes a lot. I still have the packaging for them, which they look like Bibles that have three cassette
3: slots in them. I got to use that
2: for something someday. Oh,
3: that's cool. Oh dude, that's sick.
2: Yeah. They look like Bibles and they're in like clamshells, essentially crazy.
3: Damn. That,
2: that, that would sell. I know. I just need like a triple thing to do.
3: <laughs> yeah. You need to get some church wave in there. Yeah. 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 Some Christ wave.
2: I was thinking about doing it for like the Christmas stuff. Cause if I could do a new Christmas compilation this year, which yeah, oh, considering that, that makes sense. We do vaporwave Christmas story last year's and this year's in like a special three tape Bible. <laughs> yeah should be kind of tight <laughs> but i already have so much christmas shit
3: that could be cool it's it's a bible or um i don't know if you know this but uh there's that lego or what, not lego what am i talking about mm-hmm. those fucking candies they're like circles oh it's like a four C's letter words. no what the hell how do i not know this it's like the circle they have like a butterscotch one they oh, come in like a ring fuck they not a ring, like a a cylinder, but they they are rings. They have like this middle punched out. Wow. What? are Those
2: fucking is, is, candies. Is, is this some Canadian gone? stuff? I don't Maybe know. it's Canadian. I'm not up on. I'm not up on Canada. I haven't been to Canada in like over a decade. Oh wait, no, <laughs> so no, just kidding. I was in Vancouver. spring 2000. nice. That that's the last time I was in Canada. Yeah, I ate some good stuff though. It was, it was dank.
3: Did Did you get your uh, fill of maple syrup?
2: So I got my maple syrup in uh, a soft serve ice cream. I got that was made with some, you know, Canadian dairy cream at this poutine restaurant, and we had the Dankest poutine. Those people were originally from; they're originally French Canadians, but they lived in Vancouver. And then they had like this vanilla soft serve with like maple syrup in it. it was, oh god!
3: Oh my god! That I, I give me, give it to me now,
2: man. Uh, yeah, I love food. I love snacks. like oh, that's one of the reasons I like traveling because I like trying food from different regional areas and in different places. That's why I want to like make vaporwave touring a thing because then I can go on tour again because it's been like so long since I've been on a tour like over a year at this point. And like I've been trying to talk to a lot of different people about like getting out on the road. and I don't think a lot of people are aware of how rigorous it's gonna be and like the challenges of doing like a small scale DIY grassroots tour in an emerging genre but there has to be people to like pioneer and like lead the way so i was hanging out with limousine two nights ago yeah two nights ago him and eyeliner actually like pioneered the west coast vaporwave tour essentially they went from san diego all the way up to like seattle and back down and it was a little tough i don't think they made much money from it but like they pulled it off and a lot of people are talking about like i want to play live i want a tour it's like. It's not as easy as you think. You need people who have experience. Like David, who is a limousine, and Luke who's eyeliner, like they both had some experience with like grassroots music scenes and like playing weird venues and playing bars and playing small venues. They kind of knew what they were doing and they made that tour happen. And I played my first ever live show opening for the LA Day of that tour, actually, which was pretty cool. There's like people out there who want to make the live stuff happen, but it's gonna take some work and we need to build like essentially. Within the U.S. and Canada, we need to build a network. Like, We need to know where you can go on tour, what bars you can play at, what DJ nights or parties are you trying to hit, what artists live in what parts of the country, and do they play live already? Like, If people are touring to the South, you can play with Vape Air because Jeff knows how to play live like we all saw at electronic Con, he's fucking insane he's so good yeah like oh fuck yeah i hit him up that was my favorite troncon i was like hey man if you want a tour in the future like let me know i'm interested in trying to like be a booking agent or a tour manager and get people going maybe even play myself or open because i've been learning to dj recently and i'm starting my own dj night and other stuff like that so like i want to make the live stuff happen like i have a tour spot people can stop at in orange county in LA there's the chewing foil guys who have their gallery in San Diego there's pacari sweat so if people make it to the west coast you can play 3 dates in southern california and that's not that much driving around here so then all you got to do is drive up to the bay area after that and right now me and some other people are trying to figure out like where could a vaporwave live show happen in the bay area that's not at like a punk venue because i could make it happen at a punk venue but we'd have to do a lot of advertising to get people out
3: yeah you want to do like a club almost
2: And that's the whole other side of it. You have to be able to advertise on social media. And I don't think a lot of people in Vaporwave understand how to advertise for live music on social media, which I had to learn to run a venue and I had to learn touring bands. So I do know how to do all that. So hit me up if you're trying to do live show stuff and you're serious and you can actually take two, three, four, five weeks off work, hit me up because that's what it takes. You need to be able to take time off of your job. Like people in bands live their lives around if they're serious. If you can't do that, your band's probably not going to go anywhere. Like, it's very rare someone's going to pluck you out of obscurity and say, here's a lot of money to do what you want to do. You have to build it up from ground one. I mean, from ground zero. Like, I think a lot of producers don't get that as well. And they get kind of like bummed out, like, well, why don't people like my stuff? Why am I not as popular as X, Y, and Z person? And it's just you have to like build from the grassroots and you have to retain those people that you're building with. Like, I keep the Trucks Passing Trucks Bandcamp channel going by interacting with my fans through uh, email blasts and messages on the Bandcamp app. So if I'm going to put something out or drop a couple extra copies of something, I'll tell people. If I have a exclusive track on a compilation like I did the other day, I tell like the Trucks Passing Trucks fans. And so like that little group of people who follow that Bandcamp, like, they get exclusive information sometimes. And there's some things I only tell them the people who follow the pacific plaza bandcamp they sometimes get exclusive information about releases that the rest of like twitter and reddit doesn't get and like i'm very aware that like you're making a fan base through bandcamp because bandcamp is just like the central hub of vaporwave like let's be real you
3: know yo that's true you you provide a lot of information in those newsletters or whatever yeah. you want to call them
2: and i try not to spam them too much and i try to make it so there's like something significant or special about it And I notice every time I send one, I lose like one or two followers. But that's fine because some people just get a free download and they don't want to stick around. Totally cool. Not a big deal. But like I got over 600 people that I can send a direct message to on Bandcamp when a new release comes out. So that definitely helps promote, you know, like a lot of people rely on the labels to promote everything. And the labels don't have as much reach as you think, even if they use those functions. Like only a certain amount of people actually read that. And like you really got to have your own personal fan base curated and interacted with as an artist if you want to like go to the next level in vaporwave essentially like not everyone can be blessed with having a legendary release
3: <laughs> yeah especially nowadays when the market's like everybody's got an album you know everybody's making an album
2: there's a zillion new albums every day every day there's new albums like i i follow the future funk uh tag on bandcamp through the bandcamp app because i'm always kind of looking for new bangers and there's a new album every day or every other day from like a good artist, not just like a random artist, like a good artist and someone that's usually sold a lot of tapes or vinyl because that's what floats to the top. The more sales you make, the higher you are on the chart. For sure. That's how pri- that's how Trucks Passing Trucks goes. Like on the it shows. or not. Like Trucks Passing Trucks getting on the bandcamp charts definitely helped because I sold a lot of different versions and copies of my release. So, every once in a while, when I do a reissue, the album floats back up on the Vaporwave tag. And you get a lot of people who are just looking through the tags for Vaporwave and related genres. Then they check out your release and maybe they like it. Maybe they add to their collection. Maybe they pay you a dollar for it. That stuff all helps. And you got to keep those people as fans.
3: Big time. Uh, And you certainly do, man. You have some loyal fans. And I wonder, like, are you, I saw you put out a, a song after the sorry if you can hear the honking by the way it's a wild night out there um the uh the poke passion flower song but i wondered like are you planning on making any more music any more records i
2: have a backlog so i finally trickled out one of the tracks earlier this i think yesterday there was a compilation that came out that i was asked to be on i had this one song that doesn't fit into any of the multiple projects i have in the works Called Samba Night, and so that was on there. Samba Night has a mix of like sample and original instrumentation because I've been trying to move that direction a little bit. And I have like four different projects under Trucks Passing Trucks that are kind of all in progress right now. Mm. And a lot of them are taking a backseat to running the label and doing the live events. Yeah,
3: and exactly because Electronic Con, blah blah blah. So yeah, so we'll pick it back up soon.
2: I mean. I'll I'll go through the different things I have where there's a lot of tracks in various stages of completion, but I originally had started Actually, doing... Actually.
3: Can can we take a quick break? I gotta pee. Oh yeah, I'm down for a bathroom break, yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so don't forget that we were about to talk about all the shit you got in the back burner. Yo. What's up? I left
2: some secret messages while you were gone.
3: <laughs> secret messages? Oh, into the so when we edit it? It'll be funny. Right now, only the bot knows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: uh, print Shop texts me back.
0: They're like, "Yeah, we finished the
2: prints." I was like, "Just leave them outside the door. I'll come get them later." <laughs> Damn, these aren't even these aren't even actually. Well, some of the prints are for me. Some of them are for mini CDs, but
3: I also I might made... have someone come to the door as made... well. I ordered uh Foodora. Do you have that down there? I don't.
2: I don't know. I. I do DoorDash as a delivery driver, but I never use any of them. Yeah. So I don't really know how it works on the other side. I've just only done the driver thing for the last couple of years. It's kind Mm. of funny. I've like never used the app.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I got free delivery, yo. Dang. Okay, let's get back to it here. So we
2: were talking about Trucks
3: Passing Trucks projects. We were talking about uh, stuff that you were working on.
2: Yeah. So for Trucks Passing Trucks, I... I've had a couple different releases that I've kind of been putting tracks towards that have been conceptualized already. So a lot of the kind of like ideas for the themes of the concepts kind of came together as I was starting to group tracks. So I had a lot of tracks that were very like Vapor Trap influenced. And so those are kind of all sticking together. And I think it's like five or six so far. It's like kind of like Vapor Trap and Lo-Fi Hip Hop kind of all together. And some of them have like original music. Some of them are purely sample based. Some of them sample like DIY bands and like my friend's bands. And I have the name, the working title for that is going to be called The Golden Age of Menthol. And the tape design is supposed to look like a pack of camel menthol cigarettes, the green kind that they used to have before they discontinued them. So that's one of the, that's one of the like projects I have going. I had another one called Interstellar Americana, which was going to have like tumble wave and kind of like, classic style weird stuff and that has a couple tracks for it one of them was denied from the 3d blast tumble wave compilation but i re-edited it and it's better now and so i have that one and then there was a a lot of tracks i was making that were more in the future funk vein but they were kind of verging on disco edits as opposed to like straight future funk and like hard chopped future funk they are very much like songs sped up with some extra drums maybe extended longer than the original version was and a lot of like 70s disco samples and 70s soul samples so i'm kind of still thinking about how to put that all together because it's more like a remix thing and so it might just release say like a remix album and i want to have that ready by the time i am playing live and fully touring because i want to do that in two 2020 is Get out there as trucks passing trucks and like tour as a DJ essentially, and hopefully do that with like the Pacari Sweat homies down in San Diego. Like we all just go together and we bring a person with us to do visuals who is our homie David. So we have like a little plan we're trying to cook up for next year. But I also got distracted with another project earlier this year. I was watching a lot of this public access show called California's Gold with Hugh Hauser. And Hugh Hauser is like a legendary public access TV celebrity in California because the, the show California's Gold ran for like a couple decades. It has like over six or 700 episodes. And he was just like such an interesting personality and such like a wild and like cool guy who was like from Tennessee, but ended up doing this show about California. And I've been taking a lot of samples of dialogue that he used in the show, some of the music from all the different themes that they had over the years. And then the bulk of the tracks are kind of like echo jams uh, using songs about California or that have California in the lyrics. So I'm going to call it the California's Gold Mixtape. And I'm going to do a video album with it that uses clips from the TV shows. And specifically trying to hit the, like, the audio clips I use, use those parts of the TV shows when they hit on the album. So Right. Perfect. I have like 10 tracks made for that. And I've been trying to order them and see which ones I really need to keep, which ones I like maybe don't want to. And I'm going to put them all in one giant long mixtape and then take all the dialogue samples I've been collecting from watching the show uh, and put them on their own track that runs parallel with the album. And so essentially, I need to do the whole thing, the project in stages, where like the first stage is make the echo jams. Second stage is layer the dialogue from the show with the echo jams third stage, which I can do this all in Logic, which is cool, take video clips and then make the video album to go along with it. Because I want to do a video album for that. So, Sick,
3: man. That is super tough. I have like four
2: projects in the works, basically. And that Huel Wave California's Gold mixtape is definitely the most daunting, but it's kind of been the one I've been the most passionate about over the last couple months. Because I can just sit down and make a track really quick and easy or fuck around with some sample, even if it like, I can take stuff directly off a of cassette tape. And put it into my DAW, which is Ableton, and then start messing around with it. And like I can pitch it up and slow it down on the cassette deck as well. So I've been going through a lot of old tapes I have. I was trying to do that with records, but the needle on my record player broke and I haven't fixed it yet.
3: (laughs) So I can't use stylus. I
2: can't, yeah. So I can't sample from records right now. I was starting to get into that and I was actually developing like I had a lot of disco records beating up and slowing those down and playing around with that and putting together like a live set with physical media so i was going to use like cassettes future funk vinyl disco records and like disco and soul tapes i have but then i had to move out of my warehouse my record player got all messed up i had to move back home and the setup has not come back together since and i have bought a dj controller so now i'm just going that route (laughs) yeah but yeah i'm also kind of focused on doing live stuff and learning how to dj and getting better at it i've been spending like a lot of hours the last couple days kind of like Working on transitions, putting songs together, building different like basically like crates of records that have different tracks I want to put for different kinds of sets. Because I'm starting a vaporwave DJ night at the end of October. And not only will I be doing like a future funk set, but I have to be that guy that stays till the bar closes and just plays music from like 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. Bars close at 2 a.m. here. Yeah. So I'm kind of putting together more trap and like lo-fi hip-hop stuff for the late night when probably no one's around
3: (laughs) yeah Um, crazy man you have so much going on fuck
2: and then the tape swap i'm gonna play the first yeah i'm gonna play the opening set i felt bad like trying to like tell someone that like they're gonna have to play first you know like i know how that sucks like my band plays first like every show we play because like i just volunteer us because i get it
3: you know so well i think a lot of people will be there
0: I'm not worried. But I know
2: what you mean. I'm not worried how many people are going to be there. The thing I'm actually worried about is getting a live stream going. Um, I haven't locked that down yet. The guys that were going to help me out with it, their internet radio station has shows all day. So I can't do it through them. I'm trying to see if someone at Private Suite can help me out. I've talked to Ed and Mackie and a couple different people about like talking to St. Cloud and some other folks to see if we can just have a link people can go to. So they can listen to the live stream of the people playing at the tape swap. That's like the big thing I need to get figured out. So
3: I don't know why I haven't been contacted by I don't anybody. think Ed's
2: reached out to many people. That's crazy because
3: that's like my role. <laughs> Private suite.
2: See, I know Weird. you're busy with other shit. So I haven't like hit you up about it. But now I'm telling you about it. Yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe yeah. this is all sidebar right now.
3: <laughs> no, we'll keep it. Man. I'm down. We can figure it out.
2: But yeah, I want people to be able to tune in to the tape swap from anywhere in the world, just like they did last time and just like they did with Electronicon. And I'll just start it off. I have some really fun samples and commercials I've collected over the last couple months because I did a DJ set at my friend's festival recently where I just DJed in between hardcore bands, which was fun. So I have a bunch of funny clips about like cassette tapes and other things. And I made myself a producer tag that's like trucks passing trucks and then the sound of like a can opening.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Dope. No, I'm excited, man. This is going to be fun. I'm going to go first. I'm going to play some Pacific
2: Plaza artists, maybe play a couple of my own edits and unreleased stuff, and then pass it on to Azure Sands. It'll be interesting. Nice.
3: <laughs> Sweet, man. Yeah, I'll definitely be there. I think my flight arrives at 10 a.m.
2: Perfect. Yeah, it'll probably take you about an hour, hour and a half to get over there from LAX.
3: Really? The drive says 30 minutes.
2: Yeah, there's going to be traffic, though.
3: Oh, is that a it's thing? A fri-
2: it's a Friday. Fridays are rough in LA traffic goes late in the morning and starts early in the afternoon it's uh
3: it's gonna take an extra hour
2: i think it'll take i think it might take you an hour to get off the plane get your shit together into an uber and then over to it like
3: yeah yeah lax is huge too right
2: yeah lax is really big like there's internal traffic within los angeles or within lax there's traffic like in
3: airport <laughs> fuck, fuck, crazy
0: yeah
3: <laughs> oh, i think i'm stoked man yeah I fly, I fly all the time i used to fly like a shit ton like every month so yeah i like it i like that movie the terminal with tom hanks it's a great great film if you haven't seen it some great acting too fucking dope ass acting man i'm not
2: a movie person all my oh, all yeah? my friends are movie people and i'm not so i go to movie nights like pretty regularly but i'm not a movie person Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's one of these
3: things like so are you just like hating yourself no I don't hate it like I
2: enjoy being around other people and I enjoy (laughs) hearing their thoughts on film and cinema because they're really into it so they have really interesting and like deep thoughts about it so like I don't see some of these things when I watch a movie like they do so it's interesting hearing them talk about it and I I just like being around people and friends you know so like I don't have to have a specific interest in the movie it's just kind of like cool I'm taking in and experiencing new things and hearing like What people in other forms of art think about art. And like, I'm really interested in multimedia stuff and collaborative things. I mean, tried to start like an online variety show at one point with some friends and that kind of crashed and burned before it started. And then a bunch of friends of mine are like trying to write movies and like online series and TV shows and stuff. I mean, you know, close to Los Angeles. So I always like to keep up on like what they're doing and how their processes are and how like writing a script works. Like, it's just very interesting to me.
3: Mm hmm. It's fun, though, too, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you're in Southern California, there's just a lot of everything in every sort of media industry. Like, people are doing everything out here on various different levels. So the trick is finding your people, so to speak.
3: Yeah. I guess that's the same with anywhere, really. Toronto, too. I
2: feel like it's the same. So I, I like Los Angeles more than I used to. But I think it's to be really interesting that everyone's coming here for Electronic Con because it's totally different than going to a place like New York City. Yeah. Different than a place like Philly. Different than like other major cities. Like LA is just a much different kind of place than every other major city in the US
3: Mm -hmm. at least. Yeah. I don't know what to expect. Very
2: excited. A lot of roads. (laughs) A lot of driving. Not as many tall buildings. Tall buildings are like all in very specific areas. We'll see. Uh, I'm very excited that people are going to be on my home turf. And then that's why I also felt like I needed to step up and put on like a cool event and like make something happen because like I'm here, like this is easy for me. This is doing what I do in my normal life with setting up shows, except mm-hmm. essentially a vaporwave show and a, and a swap meet in one.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you put it together, man. It was fast. You got so many people fucking on there too, like the the vendors. Pacific Plaza, or sorry, uh, Geometric Lullaby, Us, virtual uh, 94, Golf Audio.
2: Yeah, there's a couple more I'm hoping to add. Because I, uh, so when I hit up The Smell, the guy who like started and runs the space, I did a panel with him, a panel discussion at Orange County Zine Fest a couple of years ago about DIY culture and sustainability. And I hit him up personally, and I actually got a response, which usually doesn't happen. Um, When I've been trying to set up like rock shows there because I've been trying to set up rock shows at the smell for a couple months and nothing's worked out at this point. So I hit him up. I was like, hey, can you do a daytime thing? I know you probably have a show that night, but if you can just get a volunteer to help, like basically plug us into the PA system, like I'll take care of everything else. Here's a couple friends of mine that, you know, personally, who've done stuff at the smell who can vouch for me. And I was also like, and we're collecting a vendor's fee. I'm hoping we can raise about $500 and we're going to donate that all to smell. So I promised to smell like $500. And we need a couple more vendors to get to that $500 <laughs> or else it's coming out of pocket.
3: Uh, are they selling booze?
2: No, it's all ages. So there's no booze. Yeah. It's going to be a do not bring booze situation. If you want to smoke, you got to smoke in the alley. But everyone kind of hangs out in the alley anyway. Yeah. We, uh, the legendary like smell dope thing alley to do is hang out in that alley.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be cool. We'll figure it out. And yeah, once again, Shout out to you man. It's fucking sick. I mean, I'm so stoked. I would love
2: to be the guy that like sets one up every time there's like a big vaporwave festival somewhere. But realistically, like I'm hoping other people are going to be like inspired to do it themselves because that's like a lot of what I do is like I try to inspire other people and show that you can just do things from the ground up. Like there might be a lot of working parts to get together, but like if you know what you need to do, Or if you want to learn what you need to do, there are people who can teach you and there are resources to do it. So for Essential, when they have that big festival next spring that you've been teasing, someone could set up a tape swap during the festival during the day because I hear it's going to be multiple days. Though during the day, one of the days, someone just needs to find a cool warehouse space, a cool art gallery, something in Toronto that people can easily get to via public transportation. And they could do their own tape swap. I mean, I'll co-sponsor it. That'd be cool. I'd be down to keep that going. But are you coming up, dude? I've been thinking about it. Now that I hear you talk about it, and like hearing about some of the artists that might be playing, like I'm thinking about it. It's just international travel is expensive, especially from here in California, where things are already expensive. So I was able to work out in New York, and I was able to fly a round trip for less than three hundred dollars. Oh, nice! Like pretty. Pretty dank. And then my megabus was super cheap. And I had people to stay with the whole time. And I had a lot of people like hook it up and do nice things for me, which was really great, and give me rides when I needed them. But just like flying into Canada is gonna be like definitely more expensive. And then I was thinking, like, what if I flew into like Detroit and then just took a bus over the border? Or what if I like got a ride with some people from somewhere in the Midwest? But I need to hear more details about essential two is this gonna be the second one yeah i need any more details before i can make plans because and i also need to get through this electronic on before i make plans for an, a future traveling thing
3: well there's still time i think it's in april I actually I, they may have announced it but i don't want to say it if if it's a secret still because i'm in the i'm in the discord in a good word for me i'll uh i would definitely come
2: out if essential wanted to sponsor like a tape swap event and they wanted me to run it and I came out and like run it. Like I totally paid to get out there. If it was like an official part of the festival, that'd be super tight. Because like I do know how to like help make that work and like work those logistics. So yeah,
3: that let's all we'll, we'll we'll take this conversation off online off. You know else so, we'll, we'll 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 figure it out. Um, because yeah, well I do want to. I am very interested in that. Okay, Dude, Alex, back to the questions, Alex and Indie baby. Well, Oh, yeah. I was looking at the picture today on uh, Twitter. Oh, awesome. I was like, I love Indie Advent. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing picture. That's um, a picture of us two in New York, by the way, listeners. We're probably both so stoned. <laughs> <laughs> when you discovered Vapor, what exactly was it about the genre, the aesthetic, the sounds, the music that pulled you in and kept you there?
2: So I've thought about this question a little bit because I know you ask a lot of other people and whenever you've asked other people I've definitely thought about like what does it mean to me and like what drew me into it and like my easiest answer is definitely nostalgia. So like I grew up in the 90s, I grew up alongside the internet and I have like a deep love for things that are highly like conceptual and are very holistic. And when I got into vaporwave and got deeper into it I realized like how holistic this genre is. Like the names of the songs matter. The artist name matters. The art matters. The way you present it, the videos and all of that. I was just like, this is so immersive. This is so like deeply artistic. Like Vaporwave as a whole is an art movement. Like that's how I think about it. Vaporwave is the art movement. And then within that, there's the people who make music and there's a lot of subgenres of music. There's the people who only make visual art. And there's honestly different subgenres of visual art. There's people who make videos about it. There's people who make music videos and vaporwave related movies like vaporwaves, a whole art movement. And as I kind of came to these realizations and thought about like how it's all deeply tied to like nostalgia and technology and Internet culture, I just kind of got like so deep into it, I couldn't get out. (laughs) And then as I like learned more about the community, I was like, holy crap, this is similar to like punk and DIY and other grassroots music scenes but it's growing up on the internet and it wasn't totally faceless like i came in to vaporwave during the era where a lot of people were like not anonymous anymore and i also knew who some of the people were as i like entered in my early stages like knowing reverb light and like him telling me about other people in the early scene and like who they actually were and stuff like that like i was like okay it's not as sketchy because like then the anonymous thing, like that sketches me out sometimes. I worry when like anonymous artists hit me up and they want me to release something. I'm like, what if this comes out that this person was like a terrible person or they murdered someone? Like what if an anonymous artist for my label was a murderer? That'd be crazy, right? <laughs> like I think about that. But for the most part, I feel like I met a lot of really good people in Vaporwave. And that's kind of like what's kept me around is like the community. So the nostalgia drew me in. The community's kind of kept me around.
3: That's so interesting about the anonymous thing. Like, yeah. A lot of people probably wonder that, like a lot of labels, (laughs) like who these people are sometimes or like,
2: you know, like when I ran a DIY punk label and I was mostly just working with local bands, like I met them and I knew them in person and like we were on the same moral and ethical plane, so to speak, mm -hmm. because punk stuff like comes from leftist politics and like kind of like morals and ethics of progressive politics, like. That's how it is. Like, that's where it came from. Like, that's its roots. Its roots are in, like, that kind oh, of stuff. Some, you know? My
3: food's here. One, one sec. <laughs> yeah, I'll be getting food on this podcast way too much, eh?
2: <laughs> I mean, when you, got these, when you got these long episodes, you get you got to eat or drink something in the middle of it.
3: Yeah, man. It's like, a get home from work. Like, clean up and whatever. Shower. Podcast time. Huh?
2: Ain't no time. Yeah, I grabbed a Sunkist at the beginning because I was like, Sunkist has caffeine in it that caffeine will help keep me going
3: sun kissed we don't i don't know what that is you'll have to show me that orange soda
2: i guess it's probably just a u.s thing there's so many other types of orange sodas in different parts of the world (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah so what i was saying is like i came from a background where like morals and ethics were kind of like the common ground everyone met on like even if you weren't like the best band or like making the most like Interesting or popular music, like if we're all on the same moral and ethical ground, like we can work together. And in Vaporwave, you don't necessarily have that, but the kind of like DIY grassroots spirit dovetailed nicely with punk. And I was noticing people were running their own labels. They were like promoting their own stuff, making their own communities. And so there's some similarities between like punk and Vaporwave that also really kind of drew me in. And I realized I could transfer a lot of the skills I had from like punk and DIY over to vaporwave
0: Mm
3: -hmm. yeah what are your what are your some of your favorite punk bands so
2: i use punk as kind of like an umbrella term meaning like it could be pop punk bands emo bands hardcore bands post-rock bands like all that kind of like rock and roll flavored stuff that like comes from an independent background and a punk background like i'm really big into emo bands and there's like a ton of emo bands I've been like huge fan of for years. And a lot of my friends are in emo bands that are like kind of like up and coming. And so I listen to a lot of like their music as well, but stuff people would like no more be like American football. Like I was super into American football growing up and I liked a lot of like the indie rock stuff, like broken social scene and like stars that band is so good. Oh man. Oh sick. Yeah. dude. stars are so freaking great. Oh man. (laughs) and i loved a lot of music on saddle creek records like bright eyes and cursive oh bright eyes
3: yeah fuck yeah man
2: i got really into like labels like i liked a lot of stuff on sub pop that was coming out in the mid-2000s like iron and wine and postal service like like the non-grunge stuff on sub pop i really liked a lot of that stuff and uh other smaller labels like Barsook records and like well, merge is a big label, but like other like smaller stuff like Jeepster. And then I was around during like the CDR label era. So then like the mid two thousands, a lot of people started record labels where you just release stuff burned to CDRs. And like that was a whole big thing for a while that I was like kind of involved in. Hmm. And I had a big twee pop phase. That's where I first encountered mini CDs. Three inch mini CDs were like a big thing in the indie pop and twee world circa like 2005 and six and a lot of folk punk bands. I listened to a lot of like folk punk stuff like Andrew Jackson, Jihad and Paul Barabo and uh, Against Me somewhat is in that world and. And uh, I had like a folk rock and a folk punk band back in the day. Like that's where I did all my original touring. Like we started touring in high school by just like driving around in a car with acoustic guitars and like horn players. We always had horn players in our band.
3: Sweet. Oh, that's the best, man. Just free playing music anywhere.
2: Yeah. And we uh, we actually played with Andrew Jackson Jihad once. That was cool. So,
3: yeah, I just folk punk. I don't know
2: DIY, punk and things under that umbrella. I've always been kind of my lane booking live bands. Like I'm kind of like known as like the emo, shoegaze, post-rock, sometimes math rock booker in Orange County.
3: Sweet. That's dope, dude. We have like a lot of similar interests for sure.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, I love music.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, man. You live and breathe it. And yeah, so just to summarize the question, I guess it was mostly nostalgia based. Uh, What pulled you in? and that community that's
2: what kept me oh yeah yeah there's it's hard to explain vaporwave to people sometimes but the way i've kind of taken taken to doing it is explaining like the nostalgia angle like the reason people sample stuff whether it's visually sampling things or sonically sampling things is like reconfiguring things to evoke either actual nostalgia or like false nostalgia or like utopian ideals or like very discordant things like whatever emotion or concept you're going for and kind of like creating a world for it to live in vaporwave is definitely definitely conceptual but it taps into like parts of your memory especially for someone like me who grew up like with the changes in technology that we've seen like it was crazy to me to think that like when i first started touring we would literally print all the directions off MapQuest. like we didn't have <laughs> smartphones we didn't Mapquest, have a gps yeah. Like, we would literally print directions from one venue to the next venue.
3: Get out of the car, ask for help.
2: (laughs) Literally, yeah. Like, we had cell phones, but they could only make phone calls and text people. So, it was a bit different in 2007. (laughs) But, you know what's crazy on my podcast? Something special
3: about that, though. Oh, yeah,
2: definitely. So, I talked to people on my podcast who toured in the 90s. And there's no cell phones, really, in the 90s. If you're in, like, a punk band with no money, like, you're making long distance phone calls, which are expensive to book your shows. And then you get to a town, you got to call someone's house to find information from the promoter about where you're staying, directions to the venue, or you got to go buy a map when you get into town. Like people would have to go find pay phones. They would use these things called ringers, which would make a noise that would fool the phone into thinking you put money in. And then you'd call people that way you could save money on tour. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. It's crazy.
3: Like, I've never heard of that.
2: Yeah. People would make them out of some stuff at like ra- that they could get a Radio Shack, essentially. And you'd use a ringer to make free phone calls. Because otherwise, it'd get really expensive to book a U.S. tour if you have to make long-distance phone calls.
3: Crazy, man. So, yeah. <laughs> things
2: have changed a lot. But that idea of having to pioneer a like live music scene has been ongoing for the last couple of decades and now it's vaporwaves turn so like i'm actually pretty excited about it because this is what vaporwave has to do now and we have a lot more resources like we don't have to make long-distance phone calls i can literally just dm someone and be like hey are you interested in touring or like shoji hit me up recently it was like hey dude i heard you have like touring experience like me and advantage have been talking about like trying to tour like What do you think? Oh, sick. And I'm like, dude, like, I would love to bring Vantage to the United States. Yeah. Like, that'd be so crazy. And like, I met Shoji at Electronic Con too. Where is he from? Shoji was super tight too. So Shoji is near Philly. I think Vantage is originally from France, but he might live in Japan right now. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, that's right. But, I don't know, that song, Count What You Have, has been like my jam recently. That song slaps (laughs) so hard. Yeah. And honestly, the song is a good message for everyone out there in the Vaporwave scene. Like, Count what you have. Don't count what you don't have. Like, just work on your shit and do your thing. You know, don't worry about what other people's success is like. Don't worry what other people are doing, other people sell, how popular other artists are. It's not like, it doesn't affect you as much as you think. Like, work with what you got and push your stuff, you know, and do your thing. And hopefully everyone has this kind of background thing where it's like, we all want to lift each other up. A rising tide lifts all boats. So like, all year, I've been saying like, it's 2019 this is the year where we're lifting everyone up like 2019 we're lifting everyone up and mm-hmm. we've been lifting all year and it's getting tired like we're getting tired it's been a long year there's been a lot of lifting but we gotta like keep just trying to lift each other up and that's that's what 2019 has been all about for me yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah and you can't see me but there's like there's a hand motion that goes along with we're lifting everyone up in 2019 which is like raising the hands up so we're, we're literally lifting. and then it's
3: up. yeah <laughs> and then it's blast off into 2020 man yeah which is crazy to think about the
2: fact that we're going to make it to 2020
3: now it's so so weird that it like, seems so futuristic even though it's so close and i felt that way f- like eight years ago it's a weird it's, it's just because the number's the same i don't know uh, like 2020 yeah it's one of those things <laughs> where like i was thinking back to y2k recently
2: because like i remember when that was a whole big freak out thing and there's there's a picture somewhere in my house where it's me and my brother on uh, New Year's Eve 1999 covered in like silly strings standing in front of the TV like right before it became Y2K. k And I look at that picture and I think like, wow, there were so many people in that moment freaking out that the, something crazy was going to happen and nothing happened. We kept living the same lives, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like there was no gigantic disasters like same thing with 2020. Nothing crazy is going to happen. Like, we're just going to roll into a new year and we're just going to keep doing what we were doing.
3: I wonder, though, because it's like, for me, it's sort of futuristic, like I said, if it's going to have like a different feel to it, sort of. I think it will. Because I remember, like, yeah, when Y2K happened after that, it was like, whoa. I was like, okay, hey, we're in the, <laughs> the future now, I guess. Like, what, what is this? Right? So maybe that's going to happen again. But like,
2: we're always approaching the future, you know? it trips me out to think about like pre 2010 culture because like there wasn't smartphones back then. Like it was definitely different when I was like in high school and in college than like after I graduated college. So it's an interesting cusp to be on.
3: Yeah. It happened fast.
2: Yeah. Like if I had had a smartphone that could take pictures and videos, my freshman and sophomore year of college, like, we all made mistakes in college. We all did like ridiculous stuff or drank too much or like, you know, took psychedelics and wandered off into the forest and pet cows, you know, but there was no phone to catch me doing that.
3: <laughs> kind of a good thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't want video tripping on acid. Like, that's a very special and uh, re- religious experience for me. Like, I don't want that recorded. I don't need that recorded.
3: Yeah. And then we can go, people will go digging and find it.
2: Like, aha! That too. I mean, at this point look at him i don't have to worry about that because like i'm trying to a trying to work for myself but b like i'm a very self-directed person and i think when people see me and interact with me i'm not hiding anything i'm not like secretive about like how, how i live my life or what i'm doing like very open and talkative person like you see me and the way i look and you're like yeah that guy probably smokes weed like the guy is definitely like a motivated person and definitely excited and definitely sociable and what you see is what you get so for anyone that I'm going to meet at the next tape swap or electronic con yo what's up I'm Alex but also I think after the last one a lot of people can vouch for me that like I'm a pretty cool dude in real life and like I definitely like think that's pretty sweet. So.
3: <laughs> oh, you're a solid motherfucker, man. For sure. You're one, one of my favorite people in the scene,
2: definitely. I really appreciate that. Like Anytime, dude. Meeting everyone in person was meeting people in person was really humbling because people had so many nice things to say to me. And like that really goes a long way. Like saying something nice to someone goes such a long way, and I think people really take that for granted.
3: Yeah. Oh well, yeah, you got to you got to compliment people and shit and help them out and it's uh makes what makes the world go round, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. I try and like do like three nice things every day. It's like, yo, what's up? You, you hope you're having a good day or something like random. It's like if someone who's buried in work or uh, I don't know,
2: dude. I feel that. I feel that. I wish I was dude, that you conscious. Gotta do it. I should like as like a California like whatever hippie like you should be super conscious, <laughs> but like I'm not that new agey. But I like new age music. Actually, like yeah. hippies kind of annoy me, but a lot of people think I'm like kind of a hippie. So it's really, it's really funny.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't even know what a hippie is, really. There's definitely different it's, variations.
2: It's a cool though. person. There's a lot of variations of hippies <laughs> out here in California. And some of them I despise. Yeah. And some of them I don't.
3: Like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy.
2: Like I back, cool. I back the telepath to crystal. <laughs> I like the telepath crystal I back. But crystals in general, I'm like not that into.
3: Yeah, spiritual,
2: like herbs, over spiritual stuff, herbal healing and stuff. Totally into that kind of stuff, but yeah, I don't know what the deal my chakras is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not vegan, but I like vegan food.
3: (laughs) No, I'm excited. You have to show me some sweet ass food places too. We'll get a little posse.
0: Mm.
2: Go for a cruise. I'm hoping Friday night after the tape swap, it'll just kind of like kick back with people because I didn't bother to plan a nighttime event. I knew I was going to be too stressed and I haven't heard anything yet, but there might be, I don't know. Limousine was saying that someone might be working. We'll on get something, something on Friday night, but eh. I'd rather just hang out with people and save my energy for the festival the next day.
3: <laughs> yeah. Sleep early, get a good sleep. Yeah. Not too early, but
2: yeah. Yeah, last time. So- oh God. Yeah, I did not it really was crazy. In New York.
3: <laughs> no, yeah, you did some crazy. Well, so yeah, let's get into that for a second. Uh, you the first night, it's tape swap. You went and saw surfing, right? Was that?
2: No, I went to two different shows.
3: Oh, that's right.
2: I had a homie out there in New York, and he was like, "Hey, there's this house show happening in Bushwick or Bed-Stuy. I don't remember which one it was." And so we met up. We went to this house show, drank a couple beers in the backyard at this house show. There was just like a hundred kids like moshing to like garage rock bands. And then after that, we rolled out to The Glove, which is like a DIY spot uh, slash bar in uh, Bushwick. And it was their second to last night because they were getting shut down by the city because the building was going to get demolished and turned into apartment complex, a.k.a. gentrification. So Nick took me there because that was uh like the spot my friend would go hang out at and sometimes bartend at. And uh, we went and hung out there, saw some bands play, hung out on the roof, some drinks and caught up, talked to a lot of people. And I finally made it home at like three in the morning. (laughs) So that was, that was a wild night. And then woke up at like 11 o'clock to get over that tape or to get over to the festival where (laughs) we were there until four in the morning, or I was there till four in the morning
3: yeah again did you go to the pad chennington meetup thing
2: no but me and the san diego homies out picari sweat big shouts out best dj night in san diego the we coincided with the group that was walking from the pad chennington event to the festival so we joined the group and we were part of that big group picture that picture oh
3: cool. nice
2: yeah so i'm in that cool nice group perfect picture. hard styling yeah in front of my boy david <laughs> that's a great picture <laughs> yeah but then i stayed at the after party until 4 a.m like literally they turned the lights on inside elsewhere and i was like wow this is what it looks like because <laughs> i had to yeah. be there to support the terminally chill homies so and they got me like backstage and stuff and that's how i got to meet a lot of like the artists and like do some networking and stuff like big shouts out to virtua 94 and terminally chill
3: nice Nah, we're doing an interview with Virtua very soon.
2: Yes, they're the homies, dude. Andrew, and Victor, super tight. Their homie Drew was taking pictures. That's where all like the cool-looking pictures of me came from was Drew. So I bonded with them super quick because I was in Philadelphia for two days before the tape swap. And I just put out a call on Twitter like, yo, anyone in Philly, you want to hang out? Just hit me up, slide in the DMs, and we'll work it out. And they hit me up. Andrew came and picked me up uh, from this Ethiopian restaurant I was at and drove me to, like, the house where they do all their tape production and they do all their visuals and stuff like that. And we just, like, hung out for a couple hours and, like, talked about releases, watched videos together, talked about, like, the process of making tapes, the process of, like, making videos. They were telling me how they use the Wave Race VHS as visuals at the Terminally Chill Party. And my mind was, like, blown because I was like, I thought you guys were like super cool and like way more legit than I was. And I was like really intimidated to meet you. And they were like, dude, we felt the same way. And I was just like, whoa, (laughs)
0: like crazy.
2: Like we hit it off so fast. And like, they were like, yo, you got to come on stage with us at the after party. Like, come hype man for us. Like, we're going to go upstairs and work on our mix right now. Like, let us know what you think. And like, come hang out and watch us mix. And shit, they were giving me tips on like buying DJ controllers and different software to use. And they're just super Fuck, awesome. Shout out that's Yeah. That's an exciting interview. <laughs> Dude, yeah.
3: Yeah, we had the same hotel as them. We didn't even realize until like we were all leaving. We were just standing in the lobby and they were like, we looked over and we we're like those look like vaporwave people and we were just like what's up and we learned all about them and it's crazy man
2: yeah so yeah victor uh mr hidden yoshi he's a uh, djing at the tape swap virtue 94 will have some exclusive merch at the tape swap so gotta mm. come people you gotta come if you're making it in la a day early gotta come
3: no oh, definitely man Definitely everybody go. Porter Vong's fucking going to DJ. I was so
2: stoked to land that. Oh man, let me tell you about that. So I was like thinking of people that could perform and I had listened to the private suite interview with Porter and I was kind of like, I know that they're coming to Electronic On 2 and I hit him up. I like messaged him on Twitter and I was like, hey, have you ever considered like DJing or performing live or doing like a live seminar. Like maybe you could do like a DJ set like we had at the first tape swap. But instead of it just being a DJ set, you play tracks from your clients, you give some words of advice, we're going to have a microphone so you can talk on the microphone and say, like give some like seminar advice. And he was like, that's an amazing idea. I've been thinking about how to play live and what I could do. I can incorporate some of those ideas. And I would definitely love to play the tape swap. And I was like, yo, fucking do this. Like, Big get, in my opinion. I was like, that's a big thing to put on the lineup, honestly. Like, the first live Porter Vong performance. Pretty legendary, not gonna lie.
3: Oh, it's gonna be so sick, And you know what was even
2: crazier? After that, Frank he wanted to play the tape swap. He wanted to DJ at it. So he actually checked with the Electronicon folks to make sure there wasn't an exclusivity clause in his contract to play the festival. So he had full permission to be able to play a DJ set at our tape swap. Nice. I, awesome i actually just met frank the other night at uh the Picari sweat dj night where he just dj'd
3: uh, two nights
2: ago So i was talking to frank there
3: does he live in california i think
2: he's an la person i think he lives in la but he was in san diego for TwitchCon. oh yeah they did a special dj night I at see. the end of TwitchCon.
3: yeah so, i thought i heard about that actually
2: you probably saw it on my social media i like i hella promote,
3: d- that's what i was about to yeah, say i
2: hella promote the Picari <laughs> sweat stuff because they don't have like they don't have Concise social media, like the people who are part of it have their own and they post it to their San Diego friends that way. But they haven't really tried advertising at people on the internet, probably because it doesn't really, doesn't really draw anyone, which, whatever, that's fine. I post a lot about their DJ night because I think people should at least know about it, even if they can't go to it. Like the idea that there are people in San Diego playing tracks from producers we all love is pretty fucking cool. Like I've been telling the Picari Sweat guys, at least just post like your playlists or your set list. Like, it w- Mr. Wax would like love it if he knew that someone in San Diego was DJing his music live. Like, I told Mr. Wax, I was like, "Yo, these guys have like played your tracks," and he's like, "That's fucking crazy." Like, Strawberry Station, other like smaller future funk producers, like their tracks get played at that DJ night. Like, it's sick. I can dance and sing to like these weird, obscure future funk tracks that only like real future funk heads know. And like, it's tight. And I can be like, hey, man, you should play this track by Future Girlfriend. Like, I love this song. You should play it. And because I'm friends with them, like, they'll play it. And I'm just like, literally dancing with like Future Girlfriend blast. And it's amazing.
3: Oh, my God. That's so sick. Yeah, I can't wait for Essential, man, to be able to do that because we don't have anything else in Toronto. Yeah, I'm too busy to set something up. <laughs> it's not
2: easy to do that. You need a group of people. This The St. Uh, Louis people, they have almost like a little collective of people that are behind it at this point. Like Ron is the main person, but there's a lot of other really motivated folks in St. Louis who are helping make that night a regular thing. For Terminally Chill, you got like the Virtua 94 guys and Skeleton Lipstick who are kind of like making it a thing. And it's not something you can do on your own. It's really hard to do on your own. So that's been my challenge when I'm trying to start my DJ night here in Orange County. Is like I couldn't do it alone, especially with all the stuff I have going on. So finally I found a couple people who are interested in helping out. One of them is Data Girl, actually. And sweet. It's coming together. I have a date. Uh Data Girl's working on the flyer. We have our lineup figured out. Some of the guys from Chewing Foil are gonna be playing. We have a live visuals guy who's gonna be part of Desert Days who's gonna be doing visuals. Like It's going to be legit. We're getting video game consoles to put in the booths at the bar so people can play games if they want to. Like
3: Like retro shit.
2: Yeah. I have some aesthetic drinks I've been coming up with. One of them is from Picari Sweat that I got from them. Then the other one is going to be called the Slushy Wave because they have these slushy machines at the bar that are super dank. So they're doing a special mix for uh, the DJ night.
3: God damn it. I wish I lived there. So
2: like I'm stoked. Like I want to make it a monthly thing. And I want to be able to have people like play it when they come through, like on tours, like Geometra is trying to set up a tour right now. I've been talking with him a bit and he's coming to Southern California and I'm like, yo, like, I don't know what your dates are right now, but like, I'm getting something going. Let me know. And then I can choose to move our date based on your tour. And we can also talk to the guys in San Diego and we can get them to move the date of Picari Sweat based on what your tour is. We can also talk to the Chewing Foil guys in LA and we can get them to set up a show on like a night in between or right before, right after those two shows because Chewing Foil have their own gallery. So the network is coming together for Southern California if people want to tour through here playing Vaporwave or Future Funk. But the challenge is is like, how do you get around the rest of the country? So I'm kind of working on the West Coast right now and I kind of want to test it out by putting together a DJ tour with the Picari Sweat guys and maybe myself if I could, you know, if I get better at what I'm doing and kind of do a good job i have no problem promoting myself as like a live artist that's more in the vein of a dj who also plays some of his own edits so that's kind of the live direction i'm taking with trucks passing trucks because i'll play my own edits play other future funk i love play disco songs i love so like i have the hustle in my set right now because i love the the song the hustle yeah i love that so that's in my set you know like i've been slowly building a set for the end of the month when my dj night's gonna happen and like the hustle's definitely gonna be in there
3: <laughs> awesome man that's i'm really stoked for you man that's that sounds like a lot of fun and uh, i wish i was there that's so dope
2: man i'll if give I- you a flyer at the tape swap because we're trying to have our flyers ready by the tape swap so we could promote it at the tape swap and at the festival so me data girl maybe limousine um the guys from Precarious sweat some other homies that we know that are going to the festival who are like local friends, we're giving everyone flyers to hand out. People are going to be handing out flyers during the festival for it. And we're promoting it as Orange County's first vaporwave party. So yeah, hopefully you can bring some of these LA people down, San Diego people up. I mean, I think if folks know about it, they'll be willing to make the drive to go there. Like I drive over an hour one way to go to the San Diego DJ night. Like it's an hour's
3: not too bad. It's
2: like a hundred. I'm like doing like a hundred miles round trip, over a hundred miles round trip to go to it, but it's worth it. Like, I met people there that are like my friends now. And like the Picari Sweat guys have helped me a lot with the current tape swap. Like, Reese from Picari Sweat designed that flyer, like that super sick fucking flyer. He did that. Like, I didn't do that, you know? Hmm. And I would never have someone like that if I hadn't been going to their DJ night. Like, we had a moment during Electronic because we were all there together. And Reese just like turned to me and he was like, dude, thank you so much for like supporting us. And like, I don't understand like how we've just like become friends. And we're like, so on the same level, we're like about the same age as well. And like, he was like, thank you. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, you guys doing that event inspired me. And like, I'm willing to like, basically spend like 20, $25 just on gasoline to get there, you know, and go every month, even when there's no one there, like, I'm always trying to be there. And sometimes it's like it was on Sunday where it's like packed all night. You know, like Frank Jesse drew a lot of people. But like the dance floor was going all night. And I love dancing. So the opportunity to dance to vaporwave music with like vaporwave visuals on like a big screen and just like 15 different TVs that are all like doing crazy glitch shit. Like. Can't say no. I keep trying to get more friends of mine to go, but I just get home so late. They can't do it. Like I get home like 2.30 in the morning and that's rough.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: What day is it on? They try to do
2: Sundays. Uh, Like the first Sunday of every month has been what they try to go for. Um, I don't know if that's going to stay consistent. You would have to ask them. But I think the idea of having monthly regular parties is kind of the way to go. But if you can develop a good relationship with the bar or the venue that you're working with, they will be flexible on booking dates for you. So Terminally Chill has been able to do random shows for artists, including Clanton, like at venues because like, they developed relationships already by like having their party be every month. So Picari Sweat was able to get Sunday, the Sunday of TwitchCon because they have such a good relationship with the bar that they've been doing it at. It's all about building relationships and doing things being a trustworthy person even if they're not huge and popular like people will trust you and you just gotta like build that trust that's not easy to do and as vaporwave goes IRL people need to build trust with their local venues with like their local bars with local musicians in the scene because vaporwave is something that can be appreciated by more than just vapor nerds as I call it like more than vapor nerds can appreciate vaporwave in a live setting especially as dance music like, friends of mine who love disco have really liked going to the Picari Sweat party because they can go dance like they're dancing to disco. That's how I think of it. I think of it like I'm back in the 70s dancing to disco.
3: <laughs> yeah. Futuristic style. Yeah.
2: Like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know Selectroncon like Con. Like, I was going hard on the dance floor all day. And like... That was the thing I like wanted to do. Was like I wanted to be able to to dance to Telepath. That's fucking insane, dude! Like when he played that funky jam like near the end of his set, I just fucking lost. It. I was just like, there is no way this is happening right now. Telepath is not playing one of his funkiest tracks right now. Like, and I am fucking dancing to it. Like it's the seventies, you know? Like that's insane. Like it was a religious experience watching that set. You know,
3: definitely oh wow yeah yeah looking forward to to the next one too like i
2: can't wait till i get to dance to count what you have by vantage on like a real big blasting pa because i haven't had that experience yet i just like blast it while i'm driving around in my car and it's very different being in a big group of people dancing to a song where the bass is just throbbing like oh Oh, for sure That was the thing that bummed me out about the main stage at Electronicon. It was so quiet. What
3: do you mean? The the
2: PA was really quiet in the main room. Except for Clanton's set. His set was loud.
3: Negative Gemini was fucking loud. Holy shit. Well, I didn't see the
2: Negative Gemini set. So, okay, well, that one might be loud. But every artist I saw in that main room was quiet. St. Pepsi was quiet. Dan Mason was quiet. Namesh could have been louder. I'm also from a background where, like, people have gigantic fucking amps where like they would fill up that room with just amp amp sound alone so like for me i was just like i want this louder like i can't i'm not even using earplugs right now like come on like (laughs) at least be loud enough for me to use earplugs
3: yeah oh for sure good 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 point yeah i thought dan mason was a bit quiet that's true yeah
2: but well, Hopefully um, the next one will be louder. I was also standing like right at the edge of the stage for Dan, for Dan Mason, and when you stand at the edge of the stage, if there's no amps on the stage, the stage is very quiet, actually. like When you perform on a stage, it's not that loud, because the speakers are all pointing away from you. You only hear them all. So, I feel like if I stood in the back, it might have been a little louder, but for Dan Mason, I had to be in the front. <laughs> I had to be able to make eye contact with him while he was playing. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah all right next question and you probably know this one thoughts on the growth of the genre over the years changes growing pains
2: so i had an interesting conversation i think it was with deliriously daniel at the tape swap when you guys were doing interviews and i think a lot of people are already pretty aware of like the past changes that have happened where like there wasn't many physicals then there was a lot of physicals there was a lot of clicks the clicks kind of broke up. Different labels have existed and closed their doors. Certain people have disassociated from the genre. Some people have come back to the genre. A lot of new people have the genre. But I kind of think that the reckoning vaporwave is probably going to go through. Um, and the growth of the genre is going like, hinge on how people interact and set rules and boundaries and ethics in a live setting, whether that's in a social setting's whether that's at festivals, whether that's at shows, like are artists going to get paid to play these shows? Are people going to have to do stuff for free? Are we going to have to make sure that the spaces these shows are in are safe? Are we going to have to be on more on the lookout for people who are b- online bullies or people who like say like abusive or stereotypical things that hurt people, people who are transphobic, like seeing transphobic people bums me out so much. I have a lot of trans. And like, I think that's kind of the more the reckoning Vape is going to have as the growth. Because vaporwave is not going to stop growing like the growth is continuous, in my opinion, like there's always new labels, there's always more releases, there's always more artists, there's always more subgenres popping up, like people are going to have to interface with it differently in real life, as opposed to on the internet, you're not going to be just like cloaked in your avatar, like you are on the internet, when you're at a live show with people, or when you want to become an artist that plays live. You got some like weird beliefs or fucked up shit, or if you've been a bully online, people aren't gonna want to book you live. They're not gonna want to play with you live. Like, artists need to consider that. Like, real real life stuff is gonna definitely, I don't want to say get in the way, but like real life interaction is gonna p- play a big part in I think a lot of the drama, unfortunately, and the growth of Vaporwave in the future. That was so well said, dude. I I, I talked about it a bit with some people when I was setting up the current tape swap so i mean power lunch and azure sands hit me up wanted to table wanted to play uh i've actually been trying to meet uh azure sands in person for like probably like six months at this point because they live in san diego so i always tell them to come out to the picari sweat night like yo let's get together let's smoke a joint we both love weed like we both like vaporwave Mm -hmm. just stop by and say hi i know you're a busy person with a busy life and it hasn't happened yet but they want to do the tape swap and i was like okay that's cool we need to have a discussion first. Like Porter Vong is obviously playing. There was like a whole kerfuffle with some stuff. Like I know people that have met Power Lunch or Azure Sands in real life, you know? Like I know bands that- have I was going to
3: mention something about that, like off mic sort of. So I'm glad you brought it up because that's an important thing.
2: I know exactly how I would and how I am talking about it on mic and in public. Like I've had people contact me about it. And I've explained to them, like, I talked to Power Lunch and I was like, hey, ma'am, I know there's been that Google Doc. I know things have happened. I know we've had personal conversations, be it about politics or vaporwave. We're like, we're we're on the same level for the most part about, like, DIY culture. And, like, he's played shows with people I know in San Diego in the DIY scene, and they've never really had a problem with him. And so I was like, just so you know, like, if you're going to play this, like, Porter Vong's playing I know no one wants any bad feelings like Porter Vong definitely doesn't want any bad feelings to exist anymore like let's all just be cool in person like if someone has questions for you and like wants to talk to you they might do it in person and just please be respectful and graceful and be nice to people when we're all there together because we're all going to be there in person and we're all there for the same reason and he totally got it he was totally on the level about it and totally cool about it so I was like yeah I don't have a problem with Power Lunch being part of this it's cool like he does play live. He's worked on live sets and does like a very inf- a very interesting and different thing than most people do. From the videos I've seen of him playing, like, it'll be interesting. So why not? I mean, people are different in real life than they are on the internet sometimes. And I'm willing to give people chances. And I'm willing to let people behave like decent folks in person. So we can all just like be chill and keep supporting the same thing. And we can all grow together. Like the rising tide will continue to lift
3: all boats. Awesome, man. So yeah,
2: you know, like, I think it's going to be fine. I don't foresee people getting into arguments or being like whiny with each other. I mean, it's kind of pointless. A lot of the online drama really, it just kind of fades out after a week or two. I mean, especially being an American and current political climate, like, you just see that happening in so many aspects of online life and internet culture, whether that's a good or a bad thing, like with the president, with people in vaporwave, with people getting called out in the DIY scene, like people talking smack about other folks in the local music scene here in L.A. Like I hear that kind of stuff all the time. I kind of see how it works and like I have some idea of how to navigate it. <laughs> so it doesn't it's not as tough for me to make these decisions, but I do worry how they're perceived for sure. And like, I definitely knew that like there would be a perception of the tape swap in me if I included certain people on it or if I didn't have certain people on it. So I think giving everyone a chance to like hang out in person and be really chill in person is going to be really good for the scene. So there's nothing too crazy for me. I try to avoid drama. I drop some critiques sometimes about things, but everyone has their opinions. And, you just hope there isn't like a lot of drama and infighting that makes people like split and schism, you know? Like, cause that's happened in the past in Vaporwave. Like, if we're talking about the growth of Vaporwave, still, there were a lot of times in the past where there were like big schisms between people doing different subgenres, people running different labels, people ripping each other off. Like, there is money in Vaporwave. Like, as much as people like try and say that that's not true, like, let's be real. Like, <laughs> as an artist and someone who runs a label and someone who pays artists, like, paying someone a couple hundred dollars matters like sending someone like 150 dollars like means something to them and like that can help like paying bills or buying gifts for your kids like you know i definitely like made profit on the trucks passing trucks album the way race album and i did a lot of editions of it because more people wanted it and I interacted a lot with my fans to find out like what would make this cool and worth it to reissue it again. And I did that, and it definitely helped me pay some bills. It definitely helped me start the label. Like the profits of the label helped me go to Electronic on. Like I bought my ticket through PayPal. I bought my airplane tickets through PayPal, and PayPal is pretty much where all people's money flows through for Bandcamp. So you know, it's pretty tight that like we can sell out of all those Tupperwave tapes he gets a bunch of money and i got enough money to pay at least for one of my plane flights out of that that's pretty cool like that's actually like serious indie label that's serious indie label stuff and a lot of these bigger vaporwave labels essentially are going to become independent indie labels they just happen to release vaporwave music so they're going to have to get distributors they're going to have to get warehouses they're going to have to stock stuff and not just sell out of every release they're going to have to make t-shirts they're going to have to make tote bags and they're going to have to store these things like, if you're going to be a serious Vaporwave label, you're going to end up being like a serious indie label. Like, I keep stock here. I do a lot of things in-house. I come up with promotional material. I make advertisements for our releases. Like, these are all things that you have a department to do for you and bigger labels. But indie labels, for the most part, are still doing that with like two or three people and very small staff. But there's Vaporwave labels that have staff now. And you need staff to process thousands of records. I mean... I have friends whose DIY labels have gotten pretty big, or they've worked with bands that will put out a run of five thousand records, and they had to get warehouses and storage units to store stuff, and they had to drop, you know, like whatever, like eight thousand dollars to make two thousand, you know, gatefold die-cut records for a band, and they paid it all off because it was a really nice package at a really decent price. And people in the DIY and indie world are trying to make their products accessible and so their prices are lower than vaporwave and somehow those people are still successful and they're paying their employees so i think that's like where vaporwave labels are going to have to head towards and if they don't people are going to get pretty sus about them and honestly i have no bones being like yeah i want to make some money off this and pay myself for the time that i put into this and you know there are other labels doing that and there are definitely a lot of other people that like want to do that or are actually making that happen and that's a sign of good health for a music scene that there are people who can be that successful and that there's room for other people to be that successful it's not just like one person can be successful in vaporwave There, you know there's not just going to be one big label not just going to be my pet flamingo business casual in the infinity pool or whatever you know like there's always going to be a lot of different labels that sell a lot of stuff and people that have a come up or like people really get into their shit like a lot of people have been talking about photoshop recently Photoshop Co. Those guys release crazy cool stuff. Like big up to them, you know. And they're having a bit of a come up. People are trying to collect the whole discography, and that's really cool. Like I wish people were trying to collect my whole discography at Pacific Plaza.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is really cool, and that's what drives the money, right? Like we're all driving each other. We're all looking for those tapes. Like people message me all the time for my Photoshop tapes. I'm like, ah, no, man,
2: stop it. Yeah, it's trippy. It's trippy. I regret. Definitely regret not buying certain things. Retrospect, like the Pikachu notices the weed albums. I had opportunities to buy both of those editions and I just... Yeah, that's a big one.
3: I know, right? Yeah.
2: Cat oh, System Corp albums back in the day. I could have had opportunities to buy those. and Certain like vinyl records that I should have just ponied up for at the time and just dealt with the international shipping. Mm-hmm. Say love I do think a lot of things will be repressed though. A lot of stuff that was released by international labels and sold out really fast will eventually get repressed by someone who will distribute it to the U.S. Like I'm not. Wor- I'm not worried about. Well, sample-based releases, maybe not. That might actually get really tricky. But a lot of the bigger records, I think, will get repressed and distributed better than they are now. So I'm not too worried about certain things. But when you have like Tupperwave doing a Q rates for 1993, which is the album I did on cassette, I was like, I need to get that Q rates now. That way, I have the record, and then I can have the record and the cassette side by side, which is super cool.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw your your tweet about that.
2: I'm pulling the same move. I hit up a golf audio and I was like, yo, do you have any vinyl copies of that Mist album that I'm putting out? Yeah. (laughs) And they were like, yo, we still got one that we can send you. And I was like, you. So sick. Yeah. That, that insider tip, which I think you've given before is if you just hit up the label and see if they have extra copies, sometimes they do because they save stuff in case things get broken in shipping. I know I save like one extra copy just in case something happens. And then, I have, like, two copies for myself because one is, like, the master tape that I use, and then one of them is just, like, a normal production tape. So I have that for myself. So if things really go sideways, I can either well, make more or send out the extra ones I have. Yeah. Like, if I ever did a vinyl record, I would definitely keep at least five to ten as backups in case they get doinked in shipping, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I usually message the, message the, the labels about that. And uh, I've said this before, but if you're spines get damaged in shipping because usually the vinyl is fine. The spine that gets ruined. Just ask the label for a new spine because a lot of them keep a whole bunch of spines.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, when you, when you press vinyl the real way, you end up with more jackets than records because they always overprint on jackets because vinyl records like are not just in like perfect runs of like, 100, 200, 300. If it's coming out of a real press, like real pressing plants have like eight machines. So they make quantities in eights or like not, not exactly like that. That would mean you need eight stampers. That doesn't happen. Just kidding. But they, they make more than your order amount because they might have defects on some of them and they might have some records that are not suitable to sell or the edges don't get trimmed properly. And so usually when you order like 500 records, you're going to get like 523. Or if you're unlucky and something goes bad with the pressing, you're going to get like 473. So you also have to set some of those aside in case you have shipping errors. Like this is how real labels operate. And you can't do that with Q-Rates. As an artist, Q-Rates can do it themselves because they do have access to pressing plant. But that's not how like real record releases work. Like everyone using Q-Rates, they're getting a whole different world than how final records are actually released. So I don't know. I think the whole vapor vinyl thing is really interesting it's so much pretentious but it's so expensive it i, I don't i kind of don't get it because in the DIY world and in like the punk and emo world most people are trying to sell their records for like 15 bucks or like 20 bucks tops and yeah like those tend to be on black vinyl but a lot of people do colored vinyl and a lot of people do multiple variants and people collect all the variants so they're not doing a variant that's like only 50 and then 500 records on black like they'll keep releasing more variants in like bigger amounts than that. So they're not like so ultra rare that they're $500 on discount. Like you, if you go look at old Joyce Manor, Touche Amore records, they have like 10 variants and 10 represses because people, they would sell out of the 2,000 records that they would press because the label could only afford 2,000. The label couldn't afford to take any more of a risk. With some of these reissues of like big, well-known records, you can afford to take the risk on 400 records because you know you're going to sell out 400 in a couple hours or like a day or two or like a week like cat corp sold out of all those records like pretty recently i think for the second one building a better world sold out like the day of i think right like and i'm not even talking about the special variants like the whole run so i think people are gonna have to reconsider the way they do some of their physical but Maybe we'll have more pressing plant options in the future, from what I've been hearing from some label owners, and uh, get access to the means of production. Essentially, because of Vaporwave, people have access to the means of production. You can, you know, scale up or down to make things cheaper. And if everyone just keeps relying on duplication to make their tapes, or NAC in Missouri to make their tapes, like then you have two companies with a monopoly on making tapes, so they essentially control the prices. And, eh, you know, there's pluses and minuses to that. But the people who release like a lot of stuff all the time are usually doing home done because it takes like a month or like two to three weeks at least to get a tape professionally made. And vinyl to get it professionally made through a real plant takes like three to six months. Cases. So you have to plan things out. A lot of the bigger labels that do well, they're good at planning. Like that's a lot of it. Like it's it's not that hard to find out where to press things, how to get tapes made. It's hard to find out where to do that economically and how to do it efficiently and be a good project manager. Because most of these labels are essentially just project managers. They're just figuring out how to get stuff made for artists and then selling it. And for the most part, they sell themselves. Like No one has to put in money for a PR agent. No one's buying ad ads on Facebook or other like social media platforms for vape wave releases. That's not
3: really being done. Because you don't really need to. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sorry I don't I don't know what to say. It was, uh, you're on such a roll. It's so good. This is
2: this is just what happens. Like I think about these things a lot because I thought about it a lot when I was running a DIY label. And the big thing with Pacific Plaza I'm trying to work out is how can we make shipping better for international customers? So I do think I have some of the lowest rate for US labels, but i just wish there was another solution like not all my releases sell out the first day in fact not all of them sell out in general but like they generally sell enough to pay for themselves and i wish we could sell more but i think it's the price that's prohibitive and what i found out from talking to people is it's not just the price of the tape itself which could be lower is the shipping price so like How do I get someone to do international shipping for me? Like, what country is going to be the best country to have a distributor in? Who's going to have cheap rates everywhere in the world except for the U.S., which I get really cheap rates for the U.S. because I use commercial pricing. So, like, how do I get below that $10 price? Like, right now, sending to Canada is just under $10 for me, and sending to the rest of the world for one tape is $9.95. I take the hit on the cost of packaging because you know international customers are already paying so much money that's fine but a lot of labels don't want to take the hit on packaging or on shipping and the vaporwave world so that's why shipping rates are even higher some people than they are at my label and i find that really interesting because in the diy punk world a lot of labels take a hit on shipping to make things cheaper so they can get their stuff out there because they're just desperate to sell stuff it's a lot harder to sell tapes from emo bands than it is vaporwave artists
0: yeah that's for sure
2: (laughs) Which is
3: funny because emo used to be huge. And
2: there was the whole emo revival thing that happened a couple years ago. Yeah, I was a part of it. Kind of ongoing. There's still definitely like offspring of that movement in like that time. And I know a lot of the people who are in bands from around that like emo revival time as well. So there was like a big bump in like emo bands selling tapes over the last like five years. But I think most people have kind of realized that that's kind of over at this point. And everyone wants the records on vinyl which is just very expensive and you have to make sure you can sell 200 copies, which is a local band is hard to do. As an internationally famous vaporwave artist, maybe not.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Like the vaporwave community has a global eye on their work compared to a small indie local band.
2: Yeah, 100%. And it blows my mind when I see orders from like interesting countries, you know, like not just like Japan or Australia, like France, England, like every release kind of has some people from those places, but you get some like really wild places sometimes and like it's pretty cool to be like, holy crap, I'm shipping a vaporwave tape to the Middle East or I'm shipping a vaporwave tape somewhere in Southeast Asia, like, or to South America. Like I was sending stuff to someone in, I think it was Chile or Argentina and it took like four months to arrive. It Jesus was so Christ. Crazy. But when it finally arrived, they like hit me up and they were like, dude, this is so cool. I'm so happy. And I was like, Holy shit, this thing I made is in made South it. America. It's in a part of the world I've never been and probably will never go. <laughs> Crazy, dude. So I'm just pretty thankful for like how it's all working out. And like this has been Vaporwave has been a direction that I started pointing my life in because like A, I'm seeing success, B, I'm making really cool friends. And C, I feel like I have a lot to offer. So I appreciate it when those things I have to offer are being received well like the tape swap and especially the label with all the people who buy from us regularly like thank you so much to the consistent customers and people who buy most of the releases like that's crazy to me that people like pay the shipping every time so i've been trying to like work out the cost of a, or uh, how much of a discount i can give people if i could send them like a discount card for the next release so they don't have to pay shipping because that's uh, been on my mind recently is like How to make things affordable and sustainable for fans of a label, not just fans of an artist. Because emo bands release stuff like once a year. If you're a fan of a band, you can buy everything really easily. But it's not the same thing in Vaporwave where people put out like an album a month. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah, that blows my mind. Like, man, Sierra Mist, that dude will crank out an album in like 12 hours and it's insanely good. How do people do that? Fuck, 12 hours. Holy shit. He'll like stay up all night and make an album. Like the soft touch album I'm putting out at the end of the week. Yeah. He made most of that and edited it all up in like the span of like a day or two and then made some artwork for it. You know, like there are some people out there who are like next fucking level.
3: That is next level. Holy crap. And then
2: there's some people that take like four months to make an album and it's really fucking good. Like 3D Blast takes his time making his albums and they always come out really good and really next level. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of respect for people that do that. That's more how like normal artists and bands operate, which I think is maybe a good look for Vaporwave. If artists base out their releases and like make sure the things that they're putting out are things they're really passionate about and that they can really come with a full concept, that will help. um I get a lot of people who send me releases and they have a lot of cool samples. They've done a lot of cool stuff to their songs, but there's no unifying vision of what they're doing. And I think you need a unified vision of art, aesthetic, and music to have a successful Vaporwave release. And I've taken chances on some things and sometimes it works out. I've definitely had releases just bomb. And I think about it as an artist and a label person because I do my own stuff. And the Trucks Passing Trucks album like, was pretty successful. At least I thought it was. Like, It's the most successful thing I've ever released musically. And I put a lot of care and effort into how it's presented. And if other artists are able to do that, like they will also build and retain a fan base. And yeah, you'll get like compliments like that. Like I always appreciate people saying like, "Yeah, your shit looks good" because I put a lot of work into it.
3: Mm-hmm. It's amazing, and I'm I'm so happy to have the VHS. That's like uh, there's because you have a VHS reissue.
2: So yeah, there's two versions of it. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I have the one... I don't know how to explain it. It's just... I don't know. It's nice. I like the case better.
2: Is that the, is that the first edition? The original one I put out? Yeah. Okay. So so for that one, uh, I had Molten House Media. I'm trying
3: to look for it right now. So Molten
2: House Media did all the reissues, and they actually helped dub the VHS for that first one. But I bought the VHSs, and I bought the cases, and I did all the Almart work, and I assembled those all myself. And then I gave them a couple copies to sell because they're like a VHS and DVD label. And then when we reissued it, we kind of did it the opposite where Molten House Media made the VHSs and dubbed them. And then I gave them updated artwork. And uh, they did like this crazy version where like the VHS is multiple colors. There's splatter on it on the inside of like the windows. And there's some like redesigned graphic stuff. But those are just like local homies of mine uh, that do visuals. They do like liquid lights, analog feedback. And one of them works as a cameraman in Hollywood, essentially. The other one, she does visual at live shows in Austin, Texas. And they're both doing visuals at that Desert Days festival, actually. And they've both done visuals for like really well-known indie bands that like you and a lot of other listeners are probably aware of. And they just run like a VHS and DVD label because they have old video game so we've just been putting out reissues of stuff we put out a dvd version of it this summer and yeah they're going to be at the tape swap i uh i got them a table and they're going to be selling vhs and dvd of uh king gizzard my album and a bunch of other stuff they've worked on they've done some video compilations where they get a bunch of visual artists to contribute uh to like a vhs or a dvd so they'll be there at the tape swap selling stuff as well for all those vhs and dvd collectors out there
3: yeah sick man oh it's gonna be so fun it's
2: all about collaboration dude like you meet people working together and interestingly there's two or three different people who are tabling at the tape swap that i just know from like real life and from doing shows and having like liquid lights at my shows so there'll be a variety of people tabling at this one there's some labels that are more on the wave side i'm trying to get vapor 95 i've been talking to the guy river who runs it and i'm just waiting for him to send the application essentially um some people who do like stickers and pins and do like illustrations that are like very video game focused and like kind of meme focused we're gonna have a table. I'm setting up a little area for private suite where I'm hoping you guys can like set up lights so you can do interviews and stuff right next to the table that you'll be selling the magazine at. And then I want to have like a table, a special table that's like the trading table where like people can like trade at. You know, like a designated table for that that has like a little sign that's like trading area. So we can really keep that part of it going. People will be out in the alley. I know people will be out in the alley selling stuff because the alley is legendary. But that will definitely happen. Uh, it won't be as hot. The, the venue is actually a lot bigger than that last space. So I don't think it's going to get super crazy inside because there's no bands performing. Like when there's a full crowd in there and there's like hot amps like plugged in, that's when it gets hot in the smell. And like, I've been there when it happens, but for this, it's going to be so mellow. Like it shouldn't get too hot inside.
3: Yeah. Well, like uh, I've said it on a different episode, but uh, that venue was like a last minute change. Cause the first venue fell through. Not sure if everybody knew knows that, but yeah, Mike's
2: yeah Mike was
3: able to get uh who was it from Private Suite? It was someone uh, from Private Try. Okay. He was uh doing the camera work. Yeah,
2: and I know he hit up uh Meantime Company and helped Mike get it relocated. So Mm-hmm. you know bring in private suite and save the day essentially and uh when setting up the tape swap when I'm, for the first one i was like yo we need to have private suite on board we should get the vaporwave magazine on
0: board <laughs> good call <So laughs> i
2: i will take credit for getting private suite involved with the first tape swap
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: i mean that's because i'm a big supporter of the magazine as well and i was thinking about bringing copies of it to sell and then i was like you know what if they show up, they could just bring copies. And then I don't have to ship these heavy-ass magazines to New York. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we we got a few copies. They're
2: like 10 ounces each, man. Like, oh.
3: Yeah, they're they're heavy. They're heavy because they're real. Yeah, and I ship on, them for Canada. They're, they're nice heavy.
2: So, like, they are heavy. So if you guys yeah. are wondering why it costs so much money to ship these magazines, it's because they are on nice stock and they are heavy.
3: <laughs> All right. So what would you say is your favorite? I'll just name a few of your, like, the most iconic Vaporwave releases to you? Your favorites?
2: Okay, so Miami Virtual by Dan Mason, definitely up there. Blue Dream by Cat System Corp, another huge one. Uh, Biosphere by Cobalt Road and Stack Overflow is a big one. Um... I I really like Floral Shop. I think there's just some, like, really interesting, weird stuff on it that, like, tickles my fancy. So for whatever shit people talk on the album, I still think as an album, it's really interesting. And I do like listening to parts of it. And I definitely do show it to people. But uh, I really like Heavy Black Heart by uh, Death Dynamic Shroud. I've been really into that album the last six months. And I actually was driving down the strip in Vegas blasting that album uh, when I went to Las Vegas last time, and it was just perfect. Like it was so perfect. Oh, let's see, maybe I should look. I should look at my. I have my bandcamp collection pulled up here. What are like the most popular things? Like, it's sorted by most listened to, right? Maybe not. Oh, I guess. not. I guess not. Oh, but um, let's see. Things. That, those are some. Those, those are great. Are, those are all good ones. I really have been liking the yacht rocks, yacht rock breaks albums that Camino did. I think those are both super sick. I love listening to those on long drives. Uh, Oh, Arcadia campus virtual tour. I really like that album. And a lot of the stuff that fancy deluxe has done. Like I saw a post recently by fancy deluxe that there's like reissues coming soon. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that's a thing yesterday. I really like a lot of the stuff fancy deluxe has done. Yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of future funk stuff that I'm like really into, but it's like specific tracks for the most part. Like I really like the St. Pepsi album, uh, Uh, the hit vibes album is like definitely one of my top albums but flamingo funk just had so many bangers on it like the fact that i have like the double vinyl of that is great for like djing in the future because like there's so many great future funk songs to dj off
3: that album new flamingo funk coming out soon as well yeah
2: i heard we'll see what's on that one should be interesting as well
3: Mm -hmm. but it looks beautiful they're you know,
2: I actually really like the the Broderbund Software Library albums. There was two of them. I think they both might have come out on Bedlam tapes. Those are really dang. And uh, the Cat System Corp album, News at 11. Love that, as I said earlier. But Blue Dream is probably my favorite Cat Corp album. I just love Blue Dream for some reason. Um, I love all the EPs that Life Mod has done. I think it's, like, A through O right now that he's made it through. I don't know if there'll ever be any future ones. I actually was talking with him at one point about, like, reissuing all of it, because I was just like, it'd be super sick to just reissue every single fucking one of them, right? Like, what if we could find a 20 CD case and, like, release all of them in one CD case? That'd be nuts, right?
1: And it just didn't go anywhere.
2: All the album art is in RGB, and it looks really bad converted to CYMK, and he doesn't have the original art anymore. So... That makes it hard to reissue when people don't have original files. <laughs> Otherwise, I have to reconstruct things from scratch or from source files, which has been successful for certain things, but it's kind of tricky with other stuff. I, lo- I love all the Echo Virtual albums. Echo Virtual is definitely one of my favorite things. Um,
3: oh, which one? I
2: I think I like two the most. I think it's two, the one that has my, my favorite ones.
3: Yeah. Did you see the vinyl came out for number four? Wait, someone so they actually pulled that bootleg off, yeah, I got my shipping notification today. Oh, okay i was
2: I was really on the fence about that one because I'm not too hot on bootlegs. I do think like people are potentially doing it for the wrong reasons. I like the idea that people can make their own Kunaki version of an album. I think that's pretty cool. But people making cue rates for other artists and for albums that artists have said they do not want to be on the commercial market leaves a sour taste in my mouth. It's different when an artist says, like, I don't personally want to release it because it has samples. But if someone else wants to bootleg it, go for it. So I actually have a project <laughs> on Pacific Plaza that I'm going to do that because someone who was on one of your podcasts said, I don't care if people bootleg it, go for it. So I just do it. <laughs> and I'm going to surprise them in a couple weeks or nice um but like the artist gave permission and the reason they don't want it on their label or official is because they're trying to go legit and so like i get it like blank banshee like doesn't want the echo virtual albums to like pick up any more steam and doesn't want them to be released on physical media like i get that and i kind of respect that like if i want to make my own version of atmospheres whatever one of it is like I would do it through Kunaki and maybe I would post, like, hey, here's the files I used because I made files for these and I remastered the album art, or it's in really high vector DPI files or whatever, or here's versions of the audio. So, because like you can't just find atmospheres on Bandcamp anymore. I'm pretty sure it's not even on
3: Bandcamp, right? I don't remember actually. Uh, let me check. I have it because
2: I bought it years ago when I first got into Blank Banshee, but oh no, I guess it's up again. Yeah, they're here. I think
3: for a while,
2: on, maybe they went up and down. Yeah, huh? I think that happened at one point, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing that Echo Virtual Vinyl, and I thought about it. It was on Q rates, right?
3: No, it was put out uh, by a, a custom company. I don't know. They're called Classic Wave. It was just like a maybe the, like a fake company or something. The story,
2: maybe the story was that they used Q rates to press it because Q rates will essentially press anything for you, especially if you're not selling it publicly. <laughs> But otherwise, you have to find certain pressing plants that just don't check. So a lot of vapor labels, they play it close to the chest who they use to press stuff. And so you kind of have to just tell by the quality of the product or the way they advertise it or what their mock-ups look like. But certain mock-ups indicate certain pressing plants because certain pressing plants give people mock-ups for a certain colors of vinyl. So you can tell that someone uses X, Y, and Z pressing plant because the mock-up of their Galaxy Blue Vinyl is exactly what that pressing plant puts on their website. And I've done a lot of research on that because I ran a a label that was trying to release vinyl for Punk. And I'm interested in releasing vinyl on Pacific Plaza, but I'm trying to figure out the way to do it. Whether I do a Q-Rates, whether I go through GZ, whether I fund everything for myself, or I do a crowdfund. And I think my first test is going to be trying to reissue the Wave Race album on vinyl. Because I'd rather take that risk of my own music than someone else's music.
3: Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd grab that for sure. So,
2: yeah, somewhat exclusive news. Unless... I
3: don't think you'll have a problem.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so if you follow the Trucks Passing Trucks Bandcamp, you would know already that i am been working on this. And I'm actually, I have, some, I have a mastering engineer for it already who's going to remaster it for vinyl. So I'm hopefully going to have some uh, bonus tracks. And my goal is to... Uh, have the vinyl ready to buy or at least announce by the two year anniversary of the album, which would be in February. So I'm going to try and dip my toes into vinyl by doing it for my own first. Um, But I have some great ideas for doing interesting vinyl. Like I want to do 12 inch single. (laughs) I won't say more about that, but being a DJ or knowing DJs, I should say, and people that like to play DJ edits of stuff and play things on records that have very wide grooves. It would be cool to do 12 inches. So I've been thinking about that. But yeah, big plans. Big plans for 2020 and uh, a lot of interesting moves that could be made.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. It's exciting times, man. Uh, one sec.
2: I'm not quite sure what question we were on, but it went to a good place, I think.
3: Oh yeah, it's a fucking amazing <laughs> conversation. I'm just like getting swept away here so you got any favorite people in vaporwave well besides you
0: <laughs> but,
2: uh, oh stop dude, going to electronic and meeting people was like unbelievable like i met so many like-minded people one thing i was saying uh to folks when i was kind of like meeting them i was like the people i wanted to meet At Electronicon were the people that had the similar mindset to me of doing things DIY, coming from that punk background and having that motivation to like push the community forward and do new things and do exciting things. And I met a lot of people like that, which was so cool. So like before Electronicon, there was definitely like a spate of people that like inspired me a lot. I knew I could lean on for feedback and people who were big supporters, which, like I said, included you, but also Twin Pines Mall. Totally the homie love Twin Pines. For, for sure Vito for sure. definitely the homie. I actually just sent Vito a t-shirt uh the other day and he loves it and I love sending people sending people gifts. So I've definitely sent Vito some other stuff before and sent Twin Pines some other stuff before. Big carta 95. I love listening to Sterling Talk. And I love watching his videos of him just doing stuff. Like there's something so genial and like warm about him i mean maybe it's the canadianness but like i i really like canadian people because i grew up playing ice hockey so i grew up around a lot of canadians and like i definitely got big love for the canada fam like there's a lot of great, great people up in canada it's kind of crazy like josh starkey like what a legend you know <laughs> oh man but there were some people i met like at the tape swap who were like very consistent customers that were like Hey, man, I'm... Uh, uh, Like, Dab the Scientist was there. And, like, I met him in person. I was like, whoa, so cool. Like, what's up? And so I was super sweet meeting him. Shouts out. Uh, him and Music's the Hang-Up helped me crowd surf during St. Pepsi. Music's the Hang-Up, cool to meet Music's the Hang-Up. They definitely are, like, pushing their thing. And I got a lot of respect for people who do that. Um, You know, Pad Chennington. it was cool meeting meeting Pad. Definitely... Pat is a Chad, you know, like totally. When you see him in person, when I saw him walk up and heard the voice, I was just like, damn, that's him for sure.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he's a bro, man, for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I feel bad
2: answering this question because like I know I'm definitely forget people. people. Yeah. Like, but it was really awesome meeting like Drew who wrote uh, death tapes. We like really connected. Um, obviously, the guys I mentioned at Virtua 94, um, both of those dudes were super awesome to meet. Um, when I met Vapor at Electronicon, we talked about like politics and Bernie Sanders, which was super tight, <laughs> and like talked about just like real life personal stuff, which was really cool. Um, and Skeleton Lipstick, like that guy, is so positive and motivated and excited about stuff. Like, big shouts out to Skeleton Lipstick. Like, quickly became one of my favorite people in Vaporwave. <laughs> like, hundred percent uh deliriously daniel it was so awesome meeting dan in person and like we definitely like connected on like a deeper level than just like we both like vaporwave like we both have like some similar morals and ethics and like knowledge that kind of like is shared among us which was super super tight to like meet them in person um shout out to ed because it was cool meeting ed from private suite in person uh what's ed's online avatar i only know try rar -rar. okay that's what it is yeah dude, it's funny he's he's the best i like know a lot of the private suite people by like their first name like their real name not their like online name so like i hear you guys do like the group episode every other or every week and i'm like right 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 like pony is rich like i met rich like after the tape swap and like we talked for a minute and uh yeah, it's just too funny. Like sheep meeting sheep in person was was super tight because I had like no idea who sheep would even be. I was just like, this is just a really nice, supportive person. Like, I wonder what they're like in real life. And then I was like, oh, sheep's like super involved with the fiction writing. Like, I
3: didn't know. Yeah, lots of other stuff too.
2: I mean, fantasy Deluxe. I wish I could meet Fancy Deluxe in person. They seem really tight. Yeah, I really want a Fancy Deluxe hat. I missed out on those when they were on camp and like, I regret that constantly like i i fucking wear like hats all the time and like i wish i had a fancy deluxe hat so bad like i will buy i'll definitely buy one second hand off of someone if someone has one and they want to sell it to me for a reasonable price like i definitely buy it
3: Hit <laughs> a brother up, even
2: if someone even if someone else won't
3: yeah what's the best way for people to contact you by the way um like where, where do you want people to hit you up check you out.
2: Definitely hit me up on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm not sure if you can message me if I don't follow you. I think I might have changed that recently when I put up the tape swap application. I think I made it possible for anyone to message me. But if it's not working on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram, the Pacific Plaza rec Instagram. Like I noticed has 400 followers recently, which is pretty cool. Uh So follow me on Instagram. I do a lot of DMing on Instagram for DIY shows and punk stuff because the music scene is just like super on Instagram in Southern California. So I use Instagram a lot. Um, Don't hit me up on Facebook unless we're already friends because I get so many messages about different things on Facebook. Stuff gets lost in the shuffle really, really easily. Or you get stuck as a requested message and I don't look at my message requests a lot because I have a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I like that in marketplace groups, they changed it to where you can easily message people. Like that's how I've been able to buy a bunch of sick tapes lately, even though I don't have to like friend the people on Facebook. (laughs) Because after the con, I got so many friend requests and it was really overwhelming. And I had to say no to some people and I had to like just leave a lot of them on red, essentially, because I was just like, I don't know if I'm ready for all these people I met once to like get into my personal life because I have like a personal life. And for the most part, like not everyone is part of that personal life. Some people are just part of my vapor life, you know? Mm, that's fine. <laughs> you got to set boundaries. Like you have to set boundaries. Like I'm not going to come on your podcast and tell everyone your name, you know? But I could. I could. You I think better of, I not. I think about it all the time when people are like, oh, I shouldn't say that. And I'm like, I know what it is. I'm like yelling at the radio. I know it. <laughs> or or like dan mason like dan mason's not his real name but i know what his real name so if i ever call the cops on you i know your real name (laughs) (laughs) but yeah now i think back on the interview i'm like oh i use a lot of people's real names i'm not sure if all those people use their real names but i think it's pretty accepted at this point in vaporwave if you are telling other people your real name like you're okay with that being known and I know with artists, like I do specifically ask sometimes if they're using an alias, that's not their normal project. I'll be like, do you want me to tell people this is your project? Personally, I suggest you do. But if you don't want me to, I will. respect. So I try to respect that for like the, the VHS jazz release. And I have another release coming up. Oh, shoot. I don't know how soon that's going to come out. I have so many releases, but it's an artist I've worked with before. And they have like a little side project they're doing and they want to keep it anonymous. So. I'm willing to do that. You know, there are some people that still thrive on that anonymity. And I think that's cool. Like Twin Pines is just Twin Pines Mall. Like what a cool person, you know, they're just Twin Pines Mall. And uh, there are other people like me where like, I'm okay with people like knowing that like I'm Alex, I'm behind Trucks Passing Trucks, I'm doing Pacific Plaza. I try and sign off things with my name and that like, it is me. I am doing this. I'm a real person. So yeah, I set my boundaries and I've become mature enough and gone through enough things in my life to know how to do that and where I want to do it, Mm -hmm. which I think is another thing like a lot of younger artists in Vaporwave have to kind of learn if you're going on like Twitter and like dropping lots of really intense details about your personal life, like people are going to scrutinize that. Like people are going to have probably some hot takes about it as well and like. I've seen some people get like super bummed out and like leave Twitter or like try and leave the scene or like say they're going to disappear from the internet and like it bums me out. But sometimes you just kind of have to learn how to set boundaries and you have to learn how to interact with people. You have to learn that you interact with different people differently. And that's not scammy. That's not like tricking anyone, you know, like that's just, hopefully it's being respectful. Like you're doing it because you're being respectful and not because you're being scammy. Like plenty of people make up aliases, and like they're not trying to rip off people by making those aliases, <laughs> <laughs> which you know that's been accused of some people, and some people actually yeah. try to rip off people with aliases. Like blows my mind. But
3: I've heard you know a few.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, it is what it is.
2: I'm mm-hmm. I play things pretty close to the chest when it comes to personal stuff, but I'm definitely open to talking to people, and like I have. Vaporwave friends that I talk to on Facebook. But for the most part, like I enjoy Twitter and it keeps me busy. It's very nice to be able to open the application and see that I have notifications because on my phone, I don't get notifications for any applications except for Facebook Messenger and text messages, just as kind of like a mental health thing. Like I don't want to see likes from Facebook. I don't want to see likes from Instagram. I don't want to see any of that stuff. I would rather choose to open the application and be like oh cool 10 people like this picture like i don't want to see that popping up on my th- phone constantly throughout the day and i run so many social media profiles for the different things i'm a part of that like my phone would literally just be pinging and like cycling all day and my phone battery is already fucking garbage so i don't need yes. anything else to ruin it <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah exactly that's like
2: the next thing i have to do in my personal life is like get a new phone that's better <laughs> and go to the dentist more <laughs> I quit smoking that was a hard one now i just jewel yeah
3: yeah it's all uh it's all a, a journey right yeah it's been very
2: exciting being part of the vaporwave scene. but there's definitely like we said earlier some people that just like they can do their thing and i'll do mine <laughs> and uh, i try and be live and let live so Open to people hit me up, getting in contact, and I especially want people to get in contact if they're interested in like seriously touring or seriously putting on live events. Or like, I'm open to submissions, and I listen to submissions. I don't always give like detailed feedback, but I will give you a yes or no answer for the most part. And sometimes it takes a while because I'm busy, but I'm definitely not like secretive or exclusive, or like I don't think I'm better than anyone definitely
3: that was definitely my that. that was my next question actually like do you have any advice for how people present their material to you if they want it on the label
2: definitely i have a lot of thoughts on that and all right
3: Well, give them to me
2: i think a lot of them come from working with bands where when you're working with a band and you have a release cycle you know you have your release ready up and in advance at the minimum because it's going to take a while to make the physical stuff and if an artist is coming to a label and they want them to release something, they A, need to know that like it's not going to get released in a couple weeks. It will definitely be at least a month. It's very rare that you can push something out in less than a month. So keep in, line, keep in mind that there's a timeline and we have to build the timeline together to decide how we're going to promote it. So I need to be able to promote the album. It needs to be connected to some sort of social media or uh, your social media profile. I prefer that people have a band camp or a Twitter or some sort of social media presence doesn't have to be every single you know platform but at least one of the major platforms so we can promote the release because if i'm going to d- take on a release i'm going to promote it for you and i'm going to make advertisements whether they're videos or just graphics and people need to have like a vision not just like music like the release needs to have oh, oh, like a full conceptual vision whether that's very simple or very deep it doesn't matter but the artwork should say something about the music and the music should make you think something about the artwork and the names of the tracks should be something relevant or interesting looking or meaningful to the songs and not just random BS. (laughs) Like the one thing that gets me about a lot of future funk releases is like the tracks are just called like fun party, fun tonight, dance party, like super whatever. And like, Those are cool, but like for like full album releases and the kind of stuff I'm trying to do on the label, like I want all the constituent parts that make up your album to work together. So you have like a full holistic vision of your release. If this is just some toss off, like I'm not as interested in that. Like I don't want to just do like toss off releases. Like if I reissue something, I want to bring something special to the reissue, whether it's updated artwork, extra tracks, remix stuff, you know. Um, extra artwork that wasn't used the first time around because you only had a square digital image on Bandcamp. So like, hopefully you have other artwork so we can do insides of the tape. We can put stuff on the tape label. Like having extra artwork elements really helps if you're doing a physical release because physical releases require a lot more artwork, graphic design and layout work than digital releases do. So if someone's going to approach me with a release, I want their artwork to be in CYMK color profiles because that's the color profile for printing. I would prefer someone to have a side length version of their album. So like you have an A side and a B side figured out already. So the tape is balanced. So the tape so the tape sides are about the same length and there isn't a lot of extra space. So I like to have my tapes balanced. When I was working with bands, I always would like, trying to emphasize that I want you to tour and play live. But for Vaporwave, that's obviously not really that much of a thing. But if people are interested in playing live and DJing and having product to sell in person, I'm super into that idea. And I do want to work with people like that. So keep that in mind. If you have extra merchandising ideas that fit around your album release, like I like stuff like that. Being able to make special buttons, special stickers. I mean, I actually know how to do t-shirt screen printing, like all the Pacific Plaza shirts. I made those myself all right well with the help with the help of my best friend uh who like we came up together like learning to make different kinds of merchandise for our bands and for our friends bands he's really good at screen printing i can just i'm okay at it so when we work together it's really awesome because we both come up with different creative ideas for doing things differently and doing things in a very handmade style like i do everything by hand and artists need to understand that like it's a handmade product. it's not a professional machine made product, and so I put a lot of time into it. For the most part, like I don't factor in the labor costs, or the cost of making the tapes. So keep that in mind that like I put a lot of extra time on my own into the and it takes a lot out of my days to like format your artwork, print it out, cut it, fold it, gore it. So I want to work with people who are passionate about what they're doing and they've put a lot of work into what they're doing and they want to really promote it and they're going to keep on top of me because I have so many things going on that like stuff can fall off to the wayside really easily and I forget to make an album uh, announcement like I forget to announce that your album should come out (laughs) you know and then it's like oh I'm announcing it two days before the release like you got to announce it a little earlier than that you know and lately I've been so busy that I've been slacking a little but You know, in the early days, every album would have a video advertisement, a print or digital advertisement, a lot of promotion on all the different social medias, Facebook groups, the Reddit, Twitter. And that's why I think people respect what I do. And I put a lot of work into it. So I want to work with artists who put a lot of work and thought into what they're doing. And I think a lot of labels probably feel the same way I do, honestly. Yeah, makes sense. But yeah, when people send that email, so something very specific, like I know a lot of people kind of are like, they want tips on how to like email people and get in contact so they actually get a response. And I would say if you're going to email me, I want to know, I mean, all the basics, obviously, project name, song titles, album title, maybe a little paragraph or two about like what the concept or theme of the album is or something about how you made it that's interesting basically something that I can turn into PR for the album. So if you made it all on a certain device, that's really cool to know. Like the PowerPCME reissue I'm doing, like he made all that with like physical gear. He wasn't just like diddling around in Ableton or Fruity Loops. Like there's a lot of physical gear on that, like EP. So that's important to know. Like that definitely gives me a different perspective on the music. And in the liner notes, which PowerPC, I mean, he did, he puts down exactly what he used to make it. The Kai MPC-2000, Korg MS-20, Casio SK-1, Tascam Porta O3, more reecho Pro, you know, like that kind of stuff matters. And uh, there's a thank you list in here. Like, that's great. Like, I, that's the kind of release I want. And I was able to just be like, hey, dude, include these kind of things And then he designed the album art, which made my life so much easier. And he included the DMT Tapes logo on here as well. It's a reissue from a DMT release. And I just sent in the catalog number, put the catalog number on it. It looks great. I'm holding the J cards in my hand right now. (laughs) And I just need to do the special thing we're doing for the tapes. I don't know if I should announce what we're doing. It's going to make the tapes a little more expensive because the process I'm going through for the actual cassette shells going to take a long time, but I don't think many people in vaporwave have ever done this before. Though so it should be pretty unique. And I definitely wanted to do something kind of special and unique for this release because Power PCME was really inspired by Electronicon and actually all the pictures on the album art and J card are pictures from Electronicon. So, I figured, yeah, we should put something special into the actual tape itself since it's somewhat commemorating a very special and unique event.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Fuck yeah, man. You're killing it, dude. I'm Seriously. out You're doing my best. I'm doing my best. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like I said, music's my life and like I want to make a career out of working for myself and doing music related things. And part of that is like booking shows. Like I've been trying to pay myself for the shows I book because for the longest time, the punk shows I was booking, I just did it all for free. And sometimes I'd be spending mm-hmm. money because I'd be spending money on advertisements yeah, or getting flyers made because I pay my mm-hmm. flyer artists. And I like to pay people to do stuff like Circulating money within our own creative communities is very important. <laughs> we have to have Even our own economy, paying for travel, you know. So yeah, um, it's a it's a process of trying to be your own boss and make your own like career and path, especially out of things that are so independent and uh, somewhat outside of the like mainstream music industry. And the fact that it's outside of the like the mainstream gives us a lot of opportunities to do things differently. And I'm definitely very interested in doing things differently doing things that are better for artists, doing things that are better for like small musicians and like better for like the musical communities that every single band and every single good artist, no matter what the genre of music, has come out of some kind of community and has come out of like a place that was developed by the people who came before them. And there's always new genres of music, but there are people who lay the groundwork for those genres and there are people who are at the forefront of those genres who pioneered things. Vaporwave is going through different cycles of that as it grows, and I'm I'm here for the the vaporwave goes IRL cycle. Like that's something I have a lot to offer.
3: <laughs> Hashtag,
2: let's make it a thing. I'm down. Vaporwave goes IRL.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh yeah, and speaking of Toronto, I don't know if you saw the tweet. Just to bring it back to that a little bit, I had that r- random memory just now. I made a post on Twitter. It was like 100% con. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I want to do something like that. Not nearly as big, but like you were talking about before. You know, maybe we'll get something going.
2: Definitely. So in hardcore music and in like the hardcore community, regional festivals are a big thing. So essentially you have like a bunch of different groups of people or promoters that like once a year we'll just throw like a big event so like in louisville they do this thing called ldb um in california you have sound and fury which every couple of years a new generation of people takes over booking it and that's what's going to happen with vaporwave like we are going to follow in the footsteps of other subcultures that existed before us even if it's different music so there'll be people who start the toronto like thing and so far, essential—they're kind of those guys. Like, there's definitely room for a more vaporwave-focused and like all-genre encompassing-focused festival. But like, the only thing that's I think a bit tough for you is that like, essential is going to be a Toronto thing, and that's what Toronto's going to be known for. Toronto might become a future funk town, so to speak. <laughs> so, while like yeah. it would be cool to have an event like you're talking about, those guys in essential are they're they're breaking ground they're they're pioneering stuff and
3: oh, for i got sure. a lot of
2: respect for that which is kind of why i'm like very interested in trying to go now
3: yeah it, just, it depends on the cost Shout out to uh to dane
2: i want to meet point. dane i started following them on twitter hoping they follow me back
3: <laughs> dude i'll hook you up with him man he's super chill
2: because I I'd, I'd like to talk to the essential people and see like what their logistics has been for setting up that Dude, festival. well he did the first one too, and, well,
3: right? So he's he knows what he did yeah. wrong and what to do better and it's going to be huge, man. Exactly. It's be fucking insane. Like uh, yeah. and like
2: I so I've been talking to the Vaporwave STL, the Vaporwave St. Louis people. I've been talking to them a lot to get advice and like see what things challenges they've encountered while setting up like a live event for this I love to talk to George, but I think there's another person within hundred percent electronica that would be even more useful to talk to, um, which is the guy who does logistics and merchandising for them. I actually met him at the first festival and I have his like personal contact info. And that's how I'm going to see if we can get private suite into Electronicon two is through him. But he was telling me that like the goal for Electronicon two is to sell out the venue. And that's going to be interesting because it's a lot bigger and uh, they're there is a lot more tickets available this time than last time. Everyone in Southern California thought that this venue was only like two or three rooms. Turns out Jules Catch One has five rooms. I had no idea. <laughs> Other people I know who played there had no idea. So they actually have a lot more space than I thought. I kind of had like an initial negative reaction to the announcement because I was like, oh, I've heard bad stuff about that place. But those were for rock shows. It's definitely not a venue for rock shows. It's definitely more of a club-oriented place. I think it'll actually mm-hmm. work out really well. And I didn't know that they had it's gonna be
3: tight. that space. That's why the tickets were more expensive too.
2: I mean, the tickets were so cheap for the first one. I mean, for a one day, all day festival, including an after party, paying like less than 60 bucks first time around, uh, that's insanely cheap. I mean, I thought it was a really good deal. That's why I was definitely down to go. And I was like, I'll fly to New York. Like, no problem. Like, I thought a ticket for something like that would be closer to 100. Mm hmm. Good point. Even one day festivals on the indie level, like a lot of them, will be more than one hundred dollars for a day if they have a lot of people on it. And there was a lot of people on Electronic Con.
0: There was mm-hmm. so many
2: legends on one fucking festival. Like, it definitely was worth way more than the ticket price to me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh fucking fuck! Like, fuck like, yeah! Like, man. no one should be complaining that the tickets are more expensive this time. They're still like around sixty or less dollars right now, right?
0: Yeah, sixty. Like, That's That's a a great point, man.
2: Great point. It's a really good deal. And I think they're banking on selling more tickets to local people this time. Like, I don't know if they want it to sell out in two hours like last time. I think they want tickets to be available for a while because people in Southern California are finding out about this event and they're going to want to go just because they're interested in new music. They're interested in alternative music cultures and they're interested in club culture and like social scenes and like the social life is very big in L.A., Especially related to music so i actually would not be surprised if there's a bunch of famous people that show up as in like vip areas because i'm pretty sure catch one has a bunch of vip areas like it being in la will probably actually bring out like actually famous people <laughs> like not just internet famous people or you know yeah. like actual movie stars <laughs> crazy like isn't one of the guys from the monkeys like super in a vaporwave yeah, like I'm pretty I sure I Forget his name is it Mike that guy. No, I clue. think he lives in LA. Yeah, but, well, we'll
3: see if he shows up <laughs> like,
2: yeah, there's a lot higher profile for this one. So I think it'll be a very interesting mix of people. It's not just going to be like all the people coming in from out of town. I think there'll be a lot more like Southern California people at it and people who are just there for like kind of like the club and electronic music culture of it. Yeah, especially with all the PC music that they have booked on this festival. That will definitely bring out like a whole different crowd of people. PC music? Yeah, like Slater and some of these other people that like a lot of the Vaporite folks don't know. They're more well known in the PC music scene and other like internet genres. And that has like a whole different fan base. And a lot of people in the PC music scene DJ live or perform live like Sophie. So that's going to bring out a whole different crowd inside of people. Having those like artists. And while I'm not particularly passionate or like hip to some of them, like I did a little bit of research and then it made a lot of sense when I started like researching what scenes those people come from, what they've done and what they've released already. And so it's a smart move by 100% Electronica. Like they're not trying to just be Vaporwave, they're trying to be more inclusive than them. And Vaporwave is going to have to do that to be a live thing. Like when I've been looking for tour for places to tour to one of the biggest things i'm actually looking for are synthwave so synthwave nights those people like retro they like the aesthetic a lot of them actually play future fun at their synthwave dj nights and it's just not really like talked about because they're in the synthwave community which is its own thing and yeah,
3: you... yeah time Timecop just came yeah. to toronto
2: so i think people need to kind of look to synthwave Synthwave has made this transition in the last five years to being more of a live music genre, and there's a lot of synthwave DJ nights out there. So when I'm trying to find places to tour through, I'm like, where's the synthwave night in Columbus, Ohio? Oh, Columbus Synth Collective runs a DJ night. That's where I would probably hit up for a Vaporwave tour. Uh, in Austin, Texas, you have Body Crews. They set up pretty big parties actually at like Hotel Vegas and others other venues in Austin. And they're not strictly vaporwave, but they do synthwave, they do retrowave, they do future funk, they do vaporwave. Um, in Colorado, you have the 303 Synth Night, which does a lot of synthwave, and they probably be down with future funk and vaporwave DJs. Uh, in Portland, you have Synth City, who has like a retro uh, night, and they have future funk listed in their subheader as one of the genres. Um, I mean obviously there's Terminally Chill in Philly, you have the Picari Sweat guys in San Diego. There's actually a second DJ night in San Diego that does internet genres as well as future funk and synthwave. And uh there's actually been nights where you have Picari Sweat Future Funk night and those other guys doing their thing on the same night, and they split a crowd essentially because people go to both of them. And uh in LA, you have the guys who run the Chewing Foil Gallery and they put on shows with vaporwave artists and sometimes more vapor focused shows, but they do a lot of stuff in the beat scene as well. So I'm just trying to like basically make lists of these places people could go play. And I think the future is definitely in live shows and touring. And I know that's where I'm going to be able to contribute more beyond just being a label is uh helping people book these shows, setting up these networks, tour managing people. Now that I'm starting to learn to DJ, like I kind of just want to book my own stuff on my own tours and go out there like it'd be super fun to just jump in my car and drive basically to like vancouver and back and along the way play shows in like a bunch of different towns and just like the idea is to get your gas paid you're not going to make money touring
3: gas and food yeah Mm, food's a
2: little bit optimistic (laughs) but (laughs) in the early days of touring it's like unless you're famous unless you become a young bay level artist like you're going to do diy tours you're going to sleep on people's floors you're going to eat taco bell every day you're going to drink beer shitty beer every night like you're going to do the same thing punk bands did you're going to do the same thing hip hop like like small hip hop artists like, like backpack hip hop artists have done like you're going to sleep on floors like you're going to like have nights where you don't get paid anything you're going to have nights where you get paid hundreds of dollars You're hopefully going to be smart enough to make merch and sell your merch on tour. So you're going to repress your tapes, you're going to repress your vinyl, you're going to make some t-shirts, you're going to make some hats, you're going to get some shit embroidered and you're going to sell merch on tour. And that's where you'll make money. Hopefully the money you get paid for actually performing, pay for your gas and you sell merchandise, pay for your food, pay for lodging, pay for the merchandise itself because making merchandise isn't free, you know, and these are all things people have to think about and have to do to tour. And I already know how to do all that. I've already done all that for years. So I just need the right artists to start working with me. And I think we can make some cool shit happen. Like, I don't want just every random vaporhead who like, I want to play a live show, hit me up. Like, it's not what I want. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be bombarded by people. But if you're serious and like you're living a lifestyle or have a job that's going to allow you to take off time to do it, like, let's talk because I know what it takes Do it on a DIY scale, and if we can do it really well on a DIY, we can do it really well on a DIY scale. It will get bigger, and eventually, it could turn into things that pay well enough to be a career. And like some of these vaporwave artists that dream of being live performers, they can do it. I have faith in some of them, and I know there's certain people I've identified that I think have like really great potential, and people who are like really solid folks. That some of them I've already put out kind of like you know offers where it's like, when you want to do this, talk to me. You know, like, Weber. I told Jeff when I got back home from Electronicon, I was like, when you want a tour, man, hit me up. Like, you are an amazing live performer. You clearly know how to put together visuals that complement what you're doing. Like, I bet we could book a Veybear US tour and we wouldn't lose money. You might not make money. You might sell a lot of records, actually, which maybe you, you would make money. But like, as a performer and the tour itself, might not make a ton of money but we would be building that network and we would be at the forefront of something that's uh i think gonna be big like i think there's a lot of potential in performing live whether you're just djing dance music or you do crazy ass trap shit or you do weird experimental noise stuff like there is room for all that and those people might have to tour to different places or tour in different ways but now we're going to see a culture of having regular festivals and those festivals will include everything. So no matter what you do, there will be a place for you eventually. But you're going to have to trailblaze for yourself, you know? And for me, I think future funk, up-tempo, dance music, related things are kind of where it's at. And that's where I'm trying to work. So, I mean, if you're making like wave, like, don't hit me up asking you to book your tour. <laughs> <laughs> No no shade, but I I don't know what I would do booking a slushwave artist. The only person you could book a tour for that slush wave is probably like Telepath. Which Telepath, if you're listening, I book you a tour in a heartbeat. I actually oh I know someone that like has a connection to Telepath. And like I'm so tempted to be like, dude, like please like put him in contact with me because that'd be crazy. Like how crazy it would be to book a tour for telepath. Holy shit. But uh I actually saw Telepath without the robe backstage which was nuts. i was like oh my god holy crap
3: this is crazy oh i i might have a way for you to be able to contact them um at least the people that represent him yeah so i mean
2: i'll, I'll let you know i think there's there's a lot of potential man it's a lot of opportunities yeah dude. and uh, big time trying to seize them trying to put my name out there and uh i'm really stoked to see how it goes between now and the end of the year because like There's going to be a lot of things that happen between now and the end of the year. There'll be some more festivals announced, I'm pretty sure. I have a feeling some people will announce tours or live shows. Actually, I was talking to Pad Chennington recently, and I think he might be working on trying to put together a live show. Uh, I know Geo Metro is interested in trying to put together a live show and come out to the West Coast. Like I said, Shoji is interested. Like, you know, it's happening, man. And then you see everyone who's like, oh, dude, what if I put on a vaporwave festival in... uh, wisconsin or in upstate new york and i'm like i love the passion i'm not quite sure if you know what it takes to do something like that like people like george and the team that george clanton works with they are very experienced and they put in a lot of work and they've been in the music scene as independent artists and like independent you know tour bookers agents whatever they've been doing that for a while they're not like just like jumping in this vaporwave thing
3: Mm-hmm, you know? 10, 20 years. Yeah,
2: like, George yeah. Sand's been making, like, serious music and had been a strong, independent artist for a long time, even if he wasn't famous. Like, mm-hmm. dude has an insanely wide breadth of, like, knowledge and experience that I have a lot of respect for. Like, when I saw him at Electronicon, I just shook his hand I just said, thank you. Like, I know how much work it takes to put on something like this. Thank you.
3: <laughs> hmm Yeah, I won't take up any more of your time.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> That's definitely how I felt about it. And, like, you know, when we were doing the tape swap stuff and getting it set up, we made sure not to like attach ourselves too much to Electronicon. Like George has his brand and there was that whole thing he said, whatever. But at the same time, like these sort of events and festivals are going to have whole thing and a whole culture that builds up around it. You know, like the grateful dead or like insane clown Posse. like that's going to happen in vaporwave. That happens in every genre. It happens with emo kids. It happens with kids. Like, there'll be people setting up tape swaps, setting up DJ nights, setting up pre-fest shows, post-fest shows. Like, I think a lot of people should keep in mind when they're traveling for all these Vaporwave live events, that there's going to be a lot of things happening the day before and the day after them. So, people should keep that in mind when they're traveling, because it's going to make these events more worth it financially. If you can fly A on a cheaper day, Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays are the worst days to fly on. and B, when you can go to other events and go to social events based around the festival. And that's what really builds the community is having all those other whether it's a meetup with Pad Cheddington, a tape swap, we all go do karaoke on Friday night, like before, you know, we all go to a bar or something, you know, like, you want to do some karaoke at Electronic Con 2? Friday night after the tape swap, we should just go find a karaoke place and bring a bunch of people with us. I'm (laughs) so down, That'd be fun. We could sing some of the songs people sample. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> we'll all get together for a diana ross
2: we'll all sing it's your move whatever they would
3: yeah as a group <laughs> <laughs> well that's a great uh great way to end it man i think we should i think we should call it soon i agree yeah.
2: i think we've reached a nice stopping point there can always be a part there yeah can always be a part two in 2020
3: oh man i could talk to you for a fucking. 10 hours? I, oh,
2: I know, dude. I like, Seriously. I realized the print shop closed over an hour ago, and my prints are just sitting on their doorstep right now. <laughs> oh, jeez. Luckily, they're not... Hopefully, good. they're okay. Well, I mean, they're not for my tapes. They're for uh, um, So I help out some other like DIY labels, manufacture stuff, like whether it's helping with tapes or helping with J-cards or other kinds of printing. My print shop's so good and consistent. I got some orders for Friends label in the Bay Area. I need to do. But... I live out in the suburbs, so I'm never too worried about stuff getting stolen or whatever. Like, yeah, Mission Viejo and Irvine. So I work in Irvine. I live in Mission Viejo. They're some of like the quote safest cities in America. (laughs) Like when I deliver DoorDash, like I go up to people's doors and they just leave their front doors unlocked. So fucking weird. I don't get it. Like when I lived in the Bay Area, like when I lived in the Bay Area, like no way, Jose. Like. In the Bay Area, you do not leave anything unlocked ever. It trips me out bye bye. living in the suburbs, like, and people just don't lock
3: stuff here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. My parents still to this day. Out in Bellwood. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. I'm gonna have to cut that, <laughs> oh, man. What you said it in another
2: episode already.
3: <laughs> uh did I? Okay, we're good. So mm,
2: okay. there go. you go. Here's the very last you, thing. You got track of everything. Here's the very last thing I'll reveal before we end this interview. Is I have I have a I have a note on my phone and I have some indie advent fact I have in that note. <laughs> Cause I, cause someone said it before recently. We're like, someone's gonna have to interview you, dude. And like hopefully they've been keeping track of all the little things you say over interviews. <laughs> and now I was like, oh shit, I should be that guy. So I started keeping track of certain things.
1: <laughs> no fucking way.
0: So I'm gonna
2: I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna nard bar you someday. Okay. <laughs> It gives me reason to go crazy, back and listen man. to some past interviews oh to God. see if you dropped any nuggets in the past ones before I started keeping track.
3: Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, it, was a, it was a little messy there before. I definitely
2: is some stuff. I definitely got to go <laughs> Yeah.
3: Oh, that's crazy, so, man. When the time dude,
2: comes, me. I'll interview you and I'll pull out some Nardbar level shit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> awesome. Can't oh wait, man.
2: Oh my God. Thank you so much, dude. I'm <laughs> so glad we finally got to talk. Like
3: definitely In the podcast the, format definitely
2: not just like hanging out with a bull
3: <laughs> yeah 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 exactly you know it's it, sit down and actually talk about all the things right and not just uh not just what comes to mind and you know making conversation having fun but actually you know getting to know you getting letting people get to know you and what to expect at the you know at the tape swap and yeah, it was a great, great time, man. I'm really happy we did this. Dude,
2: thank you so much. I guess the extra last thing will be, I'm going to plug the tape swap one more time for people. And I'm going to I'm gonna read everyone who's a part of it and just tell everyone what's going to be going down that day. So the tape swap, tape swap and chill number two is at The Smell in downtown Los Angeles, October 18th, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we have a killer lineup. We have, I think... Thirteen vendors right now, including Private Suite Magazine, Geometric Lullaby, Cell Death Tapes, Civic Plaza Records, Total Power Records, Power Lunch Corporation, Virtua 94 Records, Golf Audio Company, Chewing Foil Records, Fish Print and Petri Dish Records, Molten House Media, T-Crux International, Take an Ice Cream. I think there was someone else who registered recently. I'm forgetting their name right now. And then there's one or two other people that are on a fence about it, which I'm hoping will get them locked down. And then we're going to have live performances and DJ sets by Frank Javsi, the Bacari Sweat DJs, Reese Withrow, and No Genki. Limousine is performing a live set. Eventual Infinity will be performing a live set. Porter Vaughn will be giving a seminar. Data Girl will be playing their first ever live set. Mr. Hideyoshi from Virtua 94 will be doing a live set, also from Turn Really Chill. Corbo from Chewing Foil will be doing a live set. He uses a really sick modular synth setup. You're not going to want to miss that. Baja Ajax is going to be doing a live set azure Sands, and then yours truly will be starting out the day with a little uh 20 minute intro so sick man come out to the tape swap you'll see some djs there you'll have a lot of opportunities to buy stuff not just tapes and cds and stuff like that like people will have vinyl there's going to be merch i've been telling a lot of people to make t-shirts so there's gonna be a lot of t-shirts for people to buy there's a couple of vendors who are selling vaporwave adjacent stuff whether that's like stickers and pins and t-shirts or vhs and dvds um, there's going to be the tape trading table. uh, Private Suite magazine is going to be there, hopefully, doing interviews and meeting people. There's a couple artists we're trying to do meet and greets with. We're trying to lock down like official meet and greets, but nothing confirmed yet. Some of them are actually pretty big names. Uh, so hopefully, they'll at least show up. If they show up, you can just get an autograph from them. <laughs> but <laughs> it's going to be a cool day. And then that evening, I have no plans, but I definitely want to go get drinks and hang out with people. So you guys want to hang out in LA on Friday night after the tape swap, let's do something. Party. And forever shouts out to private suite magazine.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Man. I'll
3: let everybody know you said so. I feel like I should be
2: in like the private suite discords or chat groups at this point, you know, just putting you that should. out there. why not? <laughs> just join up, dude. And there, I pitched an idea to the legendary indie advent about a, uh, Little regular feature we might be able to do on the podcast. So maybe, maybe that'll come to
3: fruition. <laughs> yeah. Only time will tell. Yeah. If,
2: if either of us have the time.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. We'll limit it. We'll be like an hour. We pick 10 tracks. We have an hour to get through 10 tracks mm-hmm. once a month. I think we can F- think we fire
3: can it. it out. I think we can pull it off. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah.
2: We'll keep it a little mysterious right yeah, now yeah exactly <laughs> oh, okay dude well I hope you have a great night thank you so much for doing this oh, it makes me so happy my heart is so full
3: me too dude me too can't wait to see you in a couple weeks
2: it's like it's like almost it's like two weeks away like how it's like two weeks. crazy as that <laughs>
3: oh, it's crazy God. I gotta start planning my I shit mean, 18 days I mean, it's
2: a little yeah. over two weeks but still yeah. it feels like two weeks yeah. to me because life moves so fast
3: mm-hmm Oh yeah. Oh. Next thing I know, I'll be looking at your face.
0: Oh I'll be looking at <laughs>
2: yours again. And this time I won't think, whoa, I can't believe it. That's legend indie I'll be like, that's my friend, Indie Advent. <laughs> yeah. That's my good <laughs> friend.
0: <laughs>
3: oh man. All right, man. Well, talk to you later, I'll dude. Talk to you soon. Oh. Have a good night. Yeah. <laughs> Peace out, bro. <laughs> cool. Well, that was my interview with Alex from Pacific Plaza Records or Pacific Nature. If you want to go that route, definitely check him out on Bandcamp. It's pacificplaza.bandcamp.com. I think. Yeah. And on Twitter, Pacific Plaza REC is his uh, Twitter handle, Pacific Plaza Rec. So yeah, check him out. And thanks again to alex for coming on the show it was a ton of fun and it was uh, about time we had him on here so thank you for your patience my friend (laughs) we're gonna play you a couple songs from trucks passing trucks and a couple exclusive tracks that are upcoming from artists on the label a song from data girl and a song from ambassador class okay everybody as always stay well and we'll see you next time
1: Nice to have a computer that will talk to you. light that each and every one of us are, because we all have this golden light, this divine light within us. What's so good about that light? Is everything a good enough answer? I think so. What's so good about you? Is everything a good enough answer? Even the stuff that doesn't always look so good, it's helping you take you for the process to evolve into the good enough answer. Everything. You know, when you think about spirit and us expressing the spirit, we sometimes put filters over our lives, we call them limited beliefs. We sometimes uh, put a special texture over our life, over over our habits, right? But when you look at light in the golden hour, the magic light, it doesn't need a filter doesn't have a texture that puts over it. It's natural and it's authentic. And so when we can stand in our golden light, we can stand in a place of authenticity. We can live our natural selves. We can take off the filters of experience and we can move beyond the habits that limit us from where we express the everything that's good about us.